This is episode 195 of Alohomora for June 18th, 2016. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Alohomora, currently MuggleNet.com's global reread of the Harry Potter school books. I'm Michael Harley. I'm Kat Miller. And I am Rosie Morris, and it is my pleasure to introduce our special guest for the day, Lyle Hokanson. Welcome to the show. You actually sponsored us on Patreon a few weeks ago, so we've said your name recently, but if you would like to tell us a little bit about yourself, that would be brilliant. Hey, guys. So, I'm Lyle Hokanson. I am, well, I am... I would say a Ravenclaw, because that was my first one on Pottermore. I, recently, I've gotten Gryffindor, so I've kind of gone to Ravenclaw, but I think I'm going to stick with Ravenclaw for now. <laughs> Good, choice. Yeah. Good choice. Stick to your guns. I'm from central Nebraska. I uh, run a Harry Potter YouTube channel, and uh, I just love Harry Potter. I love being on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining That's us. Awesome. And apologies for already managing to say your name wrong. Despite no, you telling me exactly how to say it about 30 seconds before I did. Never mind. <laughs> it's all good. Lyle, how did you get into Harry Potter? So, um, I actually started with the movies, unfortunately. I, I'm always oh. envious and I wonder mm. how people, like, thought of Harry Potter before the movies. I wish I could have used my imagination. Uh, so I've read the Harry Potter books uh, tons of times since, but I started out with one, two, and three of the Harry Potter movies. My parents didn't let us watch the 13 and up ones until I was 13, so I had to wait for those. But I read the books way before I watched those, so I've always been into it, it probably since I was like seven or eight, I think. I feel like you're not you're not alone in coming to Potter via the movies, so I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. don't feel too bad. I think about that's that. more of the younger generation <laughs> for sure, and especially one and two are kind of. Kids movies anyway, so they're quite they're kind of nice Christmas kids movies that mm-hmm. right, they're okay to be watching separately from reading the books. It, it's Definitely, fine. <laughs> yeah. And I think a very important question to ask on this particular episode, Lyle, have you ever played Quidditch? I have with my brothers, so awesome. not with the real team, unfortunately. But I have been getting into watching Quidditch as far as I kind of support the KU Quidditch team. I've gotten in touch with them on Twitter, and I'm doing a YouTube video about them right now, actually. Awesome. So it's a lot of fun. Oh, I love awesome. Quidditch. Me too. I've been to the Quidditch World Cup a few times. And I'm so it's jealous. A, it's, it's a really good time. It's really Really, really, really fun. I I'm highly recommend it to anybody yeah. who's out there. If there's a Quidditch, if there's a Muggle Quidditch game going on near you, go see it. You will not regret it. Definitely. Yeah, I'm planning on going. I think it's sometime in the next few months. I'm going to go out to Kansas and watch that game for sure. Awesome, awesome. And of course, we asked that question because this week we are focusing on uh, Quidditch through the ages by kennelworthy wisp and uh we have split that book up into two episodes this episode we will be covering chapters one through six as well as the foreword and the about the author and uh some praise for the book um that you'll find in the pages so make sure and read that first half of quidditch through the ages it may sound like a lot but it's actually a surprisingly brisk read so make sure and take a look at that before listening to this week's episode And of course, before we get into our main discussion, we like to stop and thank our amazing sponsors. And this week, our sponsor for the episode is Megan Bloom on Patreon. Thank you so much, Megan, for all of your support. Thank you so much for helping us. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. To our 
$400 goal, which we have just reached. So thank you all so much. Um, you guys, yay. You guys are amazing. Um, and you can become a sponsor uh, on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. We will continue to release exclusive tidbits um, for our sponsors. And we have some fantastic new products on there as well. And trust me, guys, it's awesome. When I heard my name on there, I was like, hey, I'm on I'm on the episode. It was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> and we do have so many people who have actually sponsored an episode that we are slowly working our way through. So if you haven't heard your name yet, do keep listening. It will be coming up very, very soon. We also have some fantastic new perks available on Patreon, um, including some laptop or car decals, uh, decals, however you want to say it in your accent, um, (laughs) and um, t-shirts as well. So um, past t-shirts from events that we have done around the world, please do go and check them out. They are there for you to go and get. And with that, I guess we can move into our discussion of Quidditch Through the Ages by Kennelworthy Wisp and published by Wizhard Books. Ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> um, <laughs> so cheeky. Uh, yes, it's very, brilliant. very, very fun. You know, before we get into the discussion of the contents of the book, I thought it, it, it might be worth kind of talking about the the release of this of this little book. Um, it's I think worthwhile to note as part of how you choose to conduct your Potter reading experience, that Quidditch Through the Ages, along with Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, were released as a set, I believe, in 2001. Yeah, March 1st, Um, 2001. Yeah, so that was a year, um, a little short of a year after we got Goblet of Fire. and uh, It was around the same time that... um, Goblet of Fire went into paperback, I believe, at least in in the UK. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, So it was Mm -hmm. very much kind of Harry Potter was in people's minds um, at the time. Rosie, was was there any hoopla over the release of these in the UK? Because in the US there was not. Um, (laughs) The hoopla came alongside Comic Relief that year. um, Mm, And the kind of Red Nose Day and all the kind of things that come with that. I think you guys have just had an American version of Red Nose Day, is that right? Correct. Yes, mm-hmm. we yeah. did. Um, and that's come from our charity, Comic Relief, rather than your charity, Comic Relief, um, which I uh-huh. believe is now disbanded. I think Kat said last last week or the week before. Um, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone has said otherwise yet. Sure. So. <laughs> okay. As far as we know, though, the books, these two books make very clear that the two are not related. Yes, they do. Yeah. In, in the full words, it's quite <laughs> interesting. <laughs> um, but our, um, yeah, our Comic Relief in, in the UK is a, a massive charity um, we kind of have two major fundraisers um, that cycle through um, and kind of when one's not happening, the other one is. And that's Comic Relief and Children in Need. Um, and they have major kind of telethons and, and raise hun- uh, millions and millions of, of pounds um, to help children and, and people in need, both in the UK and around the world. We do lots of Comic Relief does lots of work um, in kind of Africa and, and war torn countries and um really helps bring cheer to people as well as well kind of needed aid um mm-hmm. and for these books in particular 80 percent of the price of each book went directly to comic relief and helping children around the world which is amazing um and i think um both of the books together raised 17 million pounds um Jeez. i don't know if that's mm-hmm. i don't know if that's kind of a figure that's that's still 
gaining or if that was kind of the original amount it's just mm-hmm. that's what's kind of listed on wikipedia at the moment but it yeah they have raised a lot of money just from these two tiny little volumes um so yeah i remember going and buying them um as a set for comic relief um pretty much as soon as they were released um so there was there was some hubbub about them but but it wasn't kind of a major midnight party book release or anything like that um what what is kind of interesting is that these were some of the first kind of miniature companion books, um, charity books that were created in the UK, as far as I am aware. Um, since mm. then, uh, there's, there probably were kind of other charity books and stuff that were created, but in in my recollection, these were the ones that began a kind of tradition. Um, and now we've got World Book Day as a thing, and and once a year we have um, special companion books to various kind of children's series there was a how to train your dragon one this year um and and um kind of popular authors create miniature versions of their series or a a kind of companion or an additional book just one off um as a charity book where all of that money goes back into world book day and to provide books and things for children around the country um so this was kind of a starting point that has created a fantastic tradition of reading, which is really, really good. That's awesome. Well, and um, on the uh, uh, latest uh, printings of the series, because at the time this uh, um, Rowling had not established this charity, but uh, Lumos is now acknowledged on the current printings Mm -hmm. of Quidditch and Fantastic Beasts on the back. Mm -hmm. Uh, While not mentioned in the book, uh, proceeds uh, also go to Loomis now as well. Um, The other worthwhile thing to note about the release time of is of course 2001 was a major milestone year for harry potter because in november that was the release of the sorcerer's philosopher's stone movie um Mm -hmm. we we were also kind of in just in the beginnings of the harry potter drought uh, that would occur um, as far as the books went. Painful <laughs> drought. Simple, painful drought. Uh, as we were waiting for Order of the Phoenix, which would not be released for quite a while. Um, you younger listeners do not know. See, well, see, I joined in the middle of the drought, so I understand half the pain. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually, yeah, that's a, the time that a lot of fans started creating the fandom rather than just being kind of individual fans is while we were waiting for that for order of the phoenix to arrive we kind of took over the internet that had become this new thing and a new way of connecting two fans around the world and um was a baby um itself was a baby and was yeah created around that time and um was really kind of instrumental along with kind of the leaky cauldron and, and the other fan sites um in creating a space where fans could go and explore these books and go and explore the world um in a a new way and theorize and and do what we're kind of doing now which is quite nice to continue this yeah it was a good it was a good it was kind of perfect timing as far as what was going as far as that ability to share um kind of ideas and thoughts with other potter fans because the internet was really starting to take off in terms of what we could share and how we could share it at that time Mm -hmm. um so it really did open up the the potter fandom in that way because we would not get uh another harry potter book until june of 2003 um with order of the phoenix so it was quite a 
long drought where we mostly had the movies to look forward to. Um, interestingly, also would not be the first time that um, Quidditch would save us because during the Harry Potter movie drought between 2002 and 2004, while we waited for Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, Quidditch Through the Ages was famously adapted not into a movie, but into a video game. Um, it is the only <laughs> Harry Potter uh book that uh has strictly only inspired a video game and no <laughs> other media mm -hmm. um of course harry potter quidditch world cup probably one of the best harry potter games totally um, agree it's amazing see yeah. that was something i got into because i was that's about the age where i was like really into harry potter and my sister bought the game for me and i had so much fun with that game like such great memories <laughs> yeah yeah it's a it's an excellent game and it, it's surprising how much it actually borrows from the book um, to kind of flesh itself out. And uh, simultaneously, uh, the Harry Potter uh, trading card game was also released around this time and would eventually release a Quidditch uh, extension pack. And a lot of those cards were also inspired by uh, Quidditch through the ages as well, with a lot of the cards referring to uh, special moves in Quidditch and, and <laughs> many of the 700 fouls. <laughs> uh, which we will encounter <laughs> as we as we go through the book. I think there is even a card in here. Yeah, there's there's a card called Vanishing Referee. Nice. Um, and, and it's got a picture of a referee like out in like the Sahara Desert. <laughs> That's so, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Rosie, you would you like to take us into the introduction of Quidditch Through the Ages? Sure. We will start with the very first pages of Quidditch Through the Ages, which include, um, as all good library books should, um, a borrower yes. list, although these are probably a thing of the past in libraries mm -hmm. nowadays, um, where the names and the dates that the book was due back are written. And if you take a look at that list, we have some very familiar <laughs> names, um, which considering the kind of um, date of this book and, and the book that had just come out, the fourth name on this list is, of course, Mr. C. Diggory. Third mm -hmm. um, of July, that date was the book was due back. Hopefully, he returned it, and it wasn't that year that he. <laughs> Holy cow, well, there are other stuff. names, so I assume um, that he returned it. <laughs> yes, that's of course that's true. <laughs> um, other names including, of course, Oliver Wood and Marcus Flint, um, Ernie McMillan, Angelina Johnson, um, Terry Boot, Katie Bell, Terry Boot. Um, I'm trying to remember what the first name of the Fawcett girl was. Uh, That's we know it. But this I is interesting, Rosie. Are, are you using the original first edition? Um, I have the first edition. I don't yes. know. Yes, I might be because I'm looking <laughs> at the new edition and a bunch. Are they different? Yeah, a bunch of those names have been eliminated. Fawcett is not in there. Dig Ced Cedric isn't in there. That's, oh, that's interesting sad. because I have the one that's um, digital on iBooks, and it has all those names. And that's new, I'm sure. Oh, how weird. I didn't even... I should have looked for that difference. Well, I've here, wait. Let, let me read the names, Michael, and you can say... So I have yeah. um, Oliver Wood, um, Dunstan, it looks like, Marcus Flint, Cedric, Angelina Johnson, Ernie McMillan, Terry Boot. Yeah. I can't remember Fawcett's first name. You're right. Uh, Bundy, Katie Bell, um, Warrington, Dorney, Knott, Caper, Bolstrad, Weasley, Granger, Potter. Bolstrode, Millicent Bolstrode, isn't that how you say it? I think. Yep. Yeah. The the names we ha I have on here are 
uh, Ron Weasley, and somebody has written stinks next to Ron. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. <laughs> um, N. Longbottom, S. Bones, and somebody has written next to uh, Susan Bones' name is great, and they've put an eight instead of a great, so GR8. <laughs> H. Granger, Padma Patil, E. McMillan, M. Bulstrode, H. Um, H. Granger, Hermione's on here twice, <laughs> and D. Malfoy. That's completely okay, so, different. So mine. those were just modernized, basically, because mm-hmm. first off, great GR8 is text speak. So, yeah, I'm not sure they would have ever actually written that in there. That's funny. And Ron's is marked as overdue. <laughs> That's not surprising, I suppose. <laughs> it's also interesting that those kids are, are I'm fairly sure that they're exclusively Harry's year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, they are. I yeah. Think- which would make the kind of more movie canon, isn't it? It's, it's more the kids that they actually know the names of from the films rather than these extra characters that do exist and we know of from the yeah. books. Well, yeah, because some um, of those characters that you named from the original list, um, I don't think even make significant appearances in the series. They're just... No, I mean, we know them as fans mm-hmm. based on, we recognize them as people in the background and kind of the extras who have been given these roles. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, only characters kind of like Lavender even barely made it into the mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm. Um, huh. So, yeah, we know we know of them, but it's kind of nice to have the original yes, list, I think. absolutely. Um, and for the record, I looked up Fawcett on the Harry Potter wiki, and they don't even have a first name for her. So... <laughs> so oh, like it's I've not like before, we're though. forgetting. No, I don't feel so bad. <laughs> but the one, I think, I don't, I don't think um, the information from Madame Pince is changed at all her little hopefully not warning <laughs> so that's probably the same so we will look at that in just a moment but before we get to that information from madame pince we have a lovely page of <laughs> praise for quidditch through the ages um which begins with batilda Dra- uh, batilda bagshot which is quite interesting mm. considering how important she would later become um in the rest of the series it says, Kenilworthy Wisp's painstaking research has uncovered a veritable treasure trove of hitherto unknown facts about the sport of warlocks. A fantastic read. I just really love all these bits of praise because they're just so perfectly book industry phrases mm-hmm. and exactly what you would expect in all these books. I love anything that kind of validates, you know, wizarding texts as real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you opened up a Kirkus Reviews, this is what you would find if (laughs) (laughs) so the editor of witch broomstick which is quite (laughs) funny um do you guys have witch magazine over in america no no what is it so witch magazine it's um kind of a a magazine that's meant to help you decide what kind of thing you want to buy so you can get like which for laptops and oh so it's like a consumer report it's called consumer reports wow that's 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 hilarious that adds a nice, like, additional level of humor, humor yeah. <laughs> for the Brits. Yeah, especially with the pun as well, because it's not a witch's broomstick. Yeah. Witch's That's, that reminds me of the lost pun, because I'm discovering this now, because for the first time I'm reading Philosopher's Stone, not Sorcerer's Stone. Um, and right. uh, the the pun about the spellotape makes, is way... Is, yes. we, we completely lose that pun over here. So, yeah, because oh, no. we don't have... Sell, sell a tape um so it 
but it's yeah, this, this same thing enough. here where there's I didn't I just thought it was funny because it's like oh witch witch that's hilarious but apparently there's an <laughs> extra layer of humor there that's what I thought <laughs> too <laughs> but yes so there's witch magazine which will let you um consumer check which ones you want to buy so that one says um wisp has produced a thoroughly enjoyable book quidditch fans are sure to find it both instructive and entertaining which is exactly what you want from this kind mm. of book we then have something interesting yeah. um, because we have a character called Brutus Scrimgeour, mm. who we never know anything else about. I don't think we actually know anything about Rufus Scrimgeour's family mm. um, from the main text, but perhaps this is father, brother? Relative of some Any sort. idea? Uh, Either way, it's interest- interesting because he wrote the Beater's Bible and he's, he's talked about later in this. And isn't he like awful at fouling or something like that there's something about him later in, in these chapters he's um the one who his first rule in his book is take out the seeker right right <laughs> so that's funny that <laughs> which isn't that isn't that funny when you think of how rufus went after harry mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. the first thing he did was go after the seeker yeah. <laughs> so he's obviously learned from this family connection <laughs> Yeah, according to the wiki, it just says that they're family members, possibly. So that's all we know. <laughs> right. I, I, I would think highly likely, considering the wizarding world has a small pool of right. Kind of yeah, animals, agreed. So. It's a reasonable assumption to make, yeah. especially with a unusual surname. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has nothing bad to say about <laughs> the of course. It's all highly recommended. We then have the lovely Gilderoy Lockhart <laughs> making a reappearance, author of Magical Me. Interesting that they don't list the rest of his books, which are perhaps discredited by this point. That would have been funny if there had just been a long list of all those books. <laughs> yeah. That's probably his most well-known one. It's the one that all the girls are reading because they want to know more about him instead of the other stories. <laughs> um, Lockhart's quotation is, of course, solely about himself. Um, it says, Mr. Wisp shows a lot of promise. If he keeps up the good work, he may well find himself sharing a photo shoot with me one of these days. Um, because he can never praise anyone without turning it back on himself. So did so? are we assuming that he wrote this after he lost his memory? No, no Magical Me was in, in the bookstore when he was handing him out in number yeah, so two. So we would say it would probably be around the same time that it, this was published. Yeah, and the, and the if we're going by the assumed canon uh even though we got the book in 2001 um harry and his friends have been checking this book out since the you know late 90s or mid 90s so uh there's it's definitely been reviewed probably before that okay yeah yeah right right you think you think about the fact that there are actually three times three timelines we're dealing with here because, like, Harry's yeah, timeline, it's very confusing. the release timeline, and then the actual timeline that the book was written in. Yeah. yeah and Quidditch, we will find examples throughout here that uh, you canon lovers are going to cringe because there are a lot of whoopsies <laughs> in this book. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how we can try and untangle them. Lovely. <laughs> I think part of that as well, we were talking earlier about, you know, when it was released and that kind of thing. Um, and the rise of fandom. So mm. 2001, when the films came out and when, you know, the everyone was waiting and, quit and Goblet of Fire happened, that was the birth of the Harry Potter fandom, pretty much. Yeah. It was the explosion. It was when America started getting everything. It was when everything exploded. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this could have been written kind of before 
that really happened. Yeah. Um, or kind of not expecting what it would then become, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so fact checking was perhaps not as <laughs> important. important. Yeah. Um, as Pottermore and things perhaps might maybe are now. I think she she tries a lot harder to be correct, and I think that can cause some friction where she corrects herself. Yep. Um, but yeah, take everything with a grain of salt and just remember it's meant to be a fun, fun little book. <laughs> Don't take it too seriously. <laughs> Someone else who doesn't take things too seriously is Ludovic Bagman. <laughs> nice little segue there. Um, <laughs> who, of course, we had just met in Goblet of Fire itself. Um, and he says, bet you anything it'll be a bestseller. Go on, I bet you. <laughs> Definitely fitting into his character there. He, he needs the money. Please, please go and bet him. Um, and then, of course, rounding it off with the fabulous Rita Skeeter, whose only review, only review is, I've read worse. <laughs> <laughs> Which from Rita Skeeter is high praise. Yeah. Exactly. That's the punchline to the whole joke of the reviews. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it is. It's great. Just that one little page of reviews, like I would happily read that kind of sense of humor over and over again. <laughs> I want a little comic book of those yeah. kind of things. Oh, and I just noticed here we get I, we we in, on the title page we actually get the address for Wizard Books in Diagon Alley. Yeah, it's so cool, huh? You can go visit them if you'd like one one twenty nine B Diagon Alley. So if you have any grievances with the editors at Wizard Books. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting because that must be somewhere near Flourish and Blots and the other bookshops and things mm-hmm. on the street. So it's good to know that even in the Wizarding World, where you only really have one main shopping street, there are still multiple bookshops you can go to. Yes, mm-hmm. you have options. Mm-hmm. There is no Wizard Books in Orlando, sadly. No. Maybe one day if they expand. Maybe. <laughs> uh, they, they seem to have picked an address distinctly farther away from their competitor, Obscurus Books. Uh, who publish Fantastic Beasts and are located at 18A Diagon Alley. Uh, <laughs> so they're not neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> There's no kind of publishing quarter of Diagon Alley. <laughs> nope. So after the um, reviews section, we get the about the author section, which is surprisingly short, perhaps. Mm-hmm. We don't really learn much about Kenilworthy, uh, Kenilworthy from this extract. Um, it just says that he's a renowned Quidditch expert, that he is kind of the voice of um, Quidditch and Quidditch-related works. Names a few of the other books that he's written, um, including He Flew Like a Magman, um, which is a brilliant name for a biography. <laughs> yeah, do you notice the name, though? Dangerous Di Llewellyn. Right, isn't that where Arthur was? Isn't that the wing of St. Mungo's that he was in? The Llewellyn Ward. Yeah, the Di Llewellyn, Llewellyn Ward. Ward. Yes, yes, it, it is. Yeah. So that is a little nod to the next to Order of the Phoenix, probably. Mm. Is indeed, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, especially, yeah, so it's a bit of foreshadowing there, saying that it's going to be dangerous mm-hmm. and not somewhere we should go. Very true, very nice. Um, other things kind of including beating bludges and, and defensive strategies. So it's <laughs> clear that he knows what he's talking about. Um Finally, it gives you kind of a little bit of a glimpse of his home life, living in Nottinghamshire, which is a gorgeous part of the UK, um, wherever Wigtown Wanderers are playing this week, <laughs> which sounds very much like Wickham Wombles or, you know, Wickham Wanderers. Uh, there are brilliant um, alliterative sports teams all over the UK, as <laughs> I'm sure there are around the world, but it seems to be like alliteration is the thing to do. Chudley Cannon's Wigtown Wanderers. Mm-hmm. You can't have a Quidditch team without alliteration. <laughs> And his hobbies include backgammon, vegetarian cookery, and collecting vintage broomsticks. 
Um, so we have solved the question from Speak Beastie the last week. Um, there may not be vegans, or there probably are vegans in the wizarding world, but there is definitely vegetarians who like vegetarian cookery, <laughs> and Kenilworth Wisp is one of them. So I wonder what his wand is made of. <laughs> is there? Are they all made out of animal cores? Is there nothing that we know of other than that? Well, Ollivander wands use animal cores. Hmm. Yeah, and it's possible, I guess, to do custom cores. Ollivander doesn't like to do them. Right. Other wand makers are willing to. So that is, it's possible that he got his wand from somewhere else. Not everybody has to go to Ollivander's. But with vegetarianism, as long as the animal wasn't hurt in the process, it's generally accepted. That's true. It's it's not vegan. It's vegetarian. Right, right. Yeah, but I'm not maybe. sure you'd want a dragon heart string. Dragon heart. <laughs> no. I mean, maybe point. unicorn hair, because I feel like, right, that... Or phoenix feather. Right. Yeah. It's not terrible. That probably wouldn't harm them terribly. There's options. Right. Yeah. And as I said before we started recording, vintage broomstick collecting would definitely be my hobby if I was a wizard, because that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. It sounds just, really fun. <laughs> it sounds super cool. Since I wouldn't, since since I collect the trading cards in in real life, I feel like the equivalent would be like either wizarding card. I'd collect wizarding cards and vintage broomsticks. I just imagine favorite. like a muggle walks into your house and you have tons of old brooms laying around. It's like, <laughs> what the heck is going on here? <laughs> I like to clean. Okay, <laughs> like a clean house. <laughs> Before we get into the main chapters of the book, then, um, after the um, contents page, we get a quick foreword from our favourite headmaster, Dumbledore himself, mm. um, who explains that he has actually borrowed this copy of the book from the Hogwarts Library to um, copy in and distribute to muggles around the world, um, much to the behest of... Madame Pince, of course, who really does not like any of her books leaving her library ever, um, which isn't quite what a librarian is supposed to do, but never mind. And oddly, yet oddly enough, if you get into the librarian profession, you would be surprised <laughs> how many true. librarians yeah. <laughs> you meet who would love to have a library that is set up like a library with many books, but they just want it for themselves and they would rather not see people coming <laughs> into their library. Do not disturb the precious books. <laughs> Let them sleep. Yes, it's it's fun to kind of have uh, Madame Pince fleshed out as a character in this book. She kind of gets her moment. Yeah, it's really nice to see kind of her interaction with Dumbledore here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of describes her as rendered temporarily speechless when he says that he's going to kind of give it to muggles and things. <laughs> Um, which is just, you get that perfect little scene of the two of them trying to talk to each other and um, Dumbledore just not really reading any social cues. I have a question. So it says that he talks about her and how it's the most popular book in the library. So did he not actually write a foreword for it? Instead, it's just like him writing it in the beginning of the book before he gave it to the muggles to publish then, I guess? It does seem like this is a new edition. So the foreword and the kind of additional things have been added um, to the original text in this new muggle printing. That makes sense. That's how I'm taking this extract. Um, But it does seem a little bit confusing in itself. Because it still has the writing of the students in the front like it was their book, yet it's a new edition that hasn't been published yet. But that's that's definitely worth noting because Fantastic Beasts, Dumbledore kind of cites that Newt asked him to write the foreword. So that foreword... Well, at least it would seem that forward was updated for Muggle publication because Dumbledore mentions that. But 
that book did have a foreword by Dumbledore, it would seem, before it was published for Muggles. And yet it also has Harry's and the rest of their doodles and annotations in, so Mm -hmm. there's a few odd little quirks. At the same time, yeah, it's taken as humour in that that situation, so it's like... And especially in the situation of comic relief, Mm -hmm. which Dumbledore actually gives a lovely little description of um, in this... um, in this introduction, in this foreword, he explains that comic relief helps to fight poverty, injustice and disaster, and that it's about spreading widespread amu- uh, amusement um, around the world, raising large quantities of money. Over $250 million do- since they started in 1985. Um, and uh, we get a lovely little equivalent in um, galleons, which is <laughs> 34 million galleons. Mine says um, different. I guess it's because it's the new amount. Really? Yeah, it says large quantities of money, over $1 billion since they started in 1985, and then almost 200 million galleons is what it says. Wow. Right. Maybe Excellent. it's just the updated number since this Probably. is published newer. Yeah, I mean, it gains every single year. Um, what does so mine it, say? Yeah, it's, it's bound to be over a billion by, That's by mine. Says, That's crazy. Uh, 800 million pounds since 1985. Uh, 158 million, 1,035 galleons, eight sickles, and two canoes. So yours must be the <laughs> English version because mine says dollars. That's interesting. Cool. No, mine says all three. It says over 250 yeah, million dollars, <laughs> which is the equivalent to over 174 million pounds or 34 million gallons. Wow. <laughs> all sorts of editions of this book. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of nice that we have so many covered, though, because we're actually not going to miss anything, yeah. which is wonderful. <laughs> It's interesting that they do update it so often as well. That they yeah, are that's surprising. Adjusting that figure with new... Which is good. There's yeah. one person whose sole job is to remember to update that whenever they republish it. <laughs> <laughs> you know that. You know that that's somebody's job. <laughs> I want that job. It's like, listen, you just remember to put the right number in when we publish again, okay? <laughs> it says that um, they have managed to set up a fund in Harry Potter's name by Comic Relief and J.K. Rowling. Um, so it's really nice to see that um, that kind of duality and that kind of feature of the worlds joining together has been created and, and legitimised this book. Um, we've also got that mention of the Thief's Curse again, um, mm. as we did with um, Fantastic Beasts, that if you steal this, um, you will find yourself object to the uh, object of the Thief's Curse. Um, and just, yeah, don't steal charity books, guys. It's, it's well, I, I mean, actually, it's um, about just, re- I mean, well, I guess it's technically reading, but reading without buying it. Yes. Yes, if you read it too long without handing it to yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's funny. Know, again, it's a charity book. All the, Go and buy all it. All those poor souls who checked it out from the library and got beat over the head with this book. <laughs> well, they weren't checking out the muggle version, so hopefully... Oh, no, I mean, like, muggles who went to their libraries oh, oh, and checked oh. this out. Right. Yes. <laughs> Right. As you guys said the other week, I'm, I'm sure it would be acceptable to take it out of I the library. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, it says that though I have removed the usual library book spells from this volume, I cannot promise that every trace is gone. So there you go. You've got some elements of, of library books um, being referenced. Um, <laughs> Madame Pince has been known to add unusual jinxes to the books in her care. So... Beware. Again, not a librarian you want to cross. (laughs) (laughs) And a little bit more about Comic Relief again at the end. Um, Begging muggles not to try playing Quidditch at home. It is, of course, an entirely fictional sport and nobody really plays it. 
Oh, Joe, how little you knew. <laughs> I know. Since then, in however many years, I wonder if that bit has been updated at all since it is now actually a oh, correct yeah. sport. Lyle, still says, it still says the same thing. It says that it's not a real sport. Boo. Unfortunately, I know. Mine, mine <laughs> still says up. that too. So, but hey, it was written by Dumbledore. He's dead now. He didn't know any better. Oh, that's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> he had no knowledge to update. But how did he update the amount? Of money, I don't get it. <laughs> Maybe there's some kind of spell that magically okay, updates yeah. it every time. There you go. <laughs> there's a Very tracking nice. spell for that. Yeah. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. I love how it says this is a fake sport, and then it's like, and with this opportunity, I'd like to wish the Puddle Mirror United yeah. the best of luck next season. It's like it's yeah. fake, but good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as, as Rosie said earlier, it's a these these books are the first two examples where the the canon of harry potter attempts to fully completely bring it into the real world um and say like yes this is like a thing that's running parallel to your world mm-hmm. um yeah and yeah they it it, it full-on they full-on crashed with each other in tales of beetle the bard as we discussed um by acknowledging that the books the harry potter books are actually biographies um yeah but but the the hints of that are definitely here to start um i guess this also marks kind of the first tangle with canon because it the books were released in 2001 but dumbledore died in 1997 so unless these books were published posthumously under his orders uh right very true. That that creates a conflict. We can let that slide. We'll let it slide. We'll let it slide things. because we got good <laughs> books out of it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was the part of uh, of Dumbledore's will that Scrimgeour didn't read out loud. Right, so. right. <laughs> Maybe it just took four years to go through Muggle publishing. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but something that took a lot longer than four years: the evolution of the flying broomstick which is covered in chapter one of Quidditch through the ages. Um, not, it's, it's kind of fun to hear about this. Not, not terribly a lot is covered in this chapter. Probably the most important thing is that uh, Wisp notes that on page three that no spell yet devised enables wizards to fly unaided in human form. Oh, ho, ho. Uh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mr. Wisp. <laughs> Obviously, somebody hasn't been speaking with Voldemort recently. Um, or his servant Snape. Or Snape. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was uh, interesting because I feel I, I, I feel like the, the, the shock of Voldemort flying is compounded by this because this kind of, this fact isn't really, like straightforward said in the series is it like there isn't a point where somebody's like no you can't fly without a broom like no in, not in, that i remember um i can't remember i guess though if it says it anywhere it would be in that first quidditch lesson uh first flying lesson no no sure vaguely my it's ringing some bell about um during the seven potters because well, they're talking was... about Snape flying without mm. a broomstick, and somebody says something. Oh, I have to look it up. We're just gonna... but but that's that's kind of my point, though, is that that wasn't really brought up until book seven, straight as a straightforward point. 
Right. Um, yeah. But we're getting it here. So at this point in the at this point in the narrative, Joe hasn't created that mm-hmm. yet. Uh, oh, that's true. I mean, but, she might not have thought to write that in until after she wrote this book because this was right during the fourth, right? Right after the fourth came out. Yeah, yeah. this was right after book four. Um, but uh, she also notes, uh, uh, Wisp notes rather. This isn't this isn't rolling. This is Wisp. Um, Wisp notes that a, a lot about uh, wizards' desires for flight, and interestingly, it's not too terribly different from reading about the Wright brothers. Uh, the way that they that Wisp talks about it, um, it kind of mirrors our own desire to fly, in many ways. Did you notice that one of the inventors, I think their last name was Wright, literally? Yeah, that yeah Bowman, yeah mm-hmm. the guy who invented the snitch. Oh right, right, um, okay. That I yeah I noticed that somewhere, and I knew there was someone who invented something flying that had the last name of Wright. I was like, wow, yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, so that maybe that's where she got that inspiration for that particular one from. A nice little nod to the Wright brothers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other fun thing that gets mentioned here that something that really when I read reread it, I I must have glossed over this many times, and it's mentioned a few times in the book. Um, but when I read it this time, I was like, oh, my God, I wish this actually existed. There is uh, London has a museum of Quidditch. Yeah, somewhere. I want that really bad. Actually. Where is it, Rosie? Tell us. Tell us. The location. <laughs> I can't give up Wizarding Secrets. <laughs> Rosie, is there is is there any kind of major sports museums in London? Because I feel like wizards have a penchant for connecting their stuff to what to the relatable areas in the muggle world i'm sure there are i'm not a particularly sporty person so i haven't looked up a sport museum in london but i will have a look now what is the biggest sport in london like in england area because i feel like i don't know much about that probably football Football. okay yeah um so soccer soccer. right right Um, (laughs) that's true but you know um cricket and rugby are also massive sports in the uk so there are there are there's major stadiums for cricket tennis football and rugby all in all in london so i would assume that there would be a sport museum as well they're probably connected with those particular grounds oh there's a lot of sports museums it looks like just ba- just searching it there seem to be a lot of river and rowing museum cricket club museum yeah they'll <laughs> they'll all be associated with it with a particular sport ground or sport generally british sports museum that sounds like the one. I mean, that sounds very general, <laughs> so it sounds like that's where it is. Like London's Museum of Quidditch, that seems very generalized, too. It's probably going to be somewhere around Twickenham, I would say. Somewhere near the rugby, um, because that's the kind of big stadiums with the the tall poles and things that could easily be turning into Quidditch. But wouldn't they want it in a city where people could, like, walk to it and be around all the time? Twickenham isn't is, is in the city. It's the where the main kind of rugby... London is huge, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in London is in the well, city. Well, see, the problem is all I think about is, like, the train station and then, like, Diagon Alley. So. <laughs> I guess I meant not the city. I guess I meant central. When you want a museum down in central near, like, all the other... Well, equally, they are wizards. They don't need to walk places. True, <laughs> true I suppose. That's true. true. True, Most of the sport museums are with associated grounds, so they're not in central. Um, for our sports. Um, I don't know whether Wizards would be hmm. the same. 
Possibly, possibly not. And we will find out throughout <laughs> the book that there are a lot of uh, ancient documents and uh, uh, as well as uh, the original, the original broom um, that are uh, that are kept <laughs> in uh, in the Museum of Quidditch in London. Uh, I can't imagine what other amazing exhibits would be in a museum like that, but that just the thought is uh, very tantalizing. Uh, they discuss things like the uh, German illuminated manuscript of nineteen, uh, sorry, nine hundred and sixty-two A.D., um, which shows witches and wizards in Europe using flying broomsticks, uh, which is really nice because I'm sure there were actually illuminated manuscripts in the Muggle world that had some pictures of witchcraft and that kind of thing in them. Um, I'm, I'm, I know that there are medieval um, versions of images of kind of burning witches and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so it's a nice, again, blurring of the lines between the muggle world and the wizard. Can you world. educate well, and... me as to what an illuminated manuscript is? Oh, they're beautiful. I can indeed. They are gorgeous. They are so ancient um, handwritten books and texts um, rather than illustrated. Illustrated is just where you've got you know, just general kind of pen and ink um, pictures. Illuminated is where they are using gold leaf to decorate the page. So it's literally illuminated. The light reflects off the gold. Mm-hmm. Um, so most people think of general kind of illustrated manuscripts as illuminated, but that, that's not technically correct. Illuminated has to have the actual gold leaf on the page. It was kind of a, it was, it was an art that was practiced by monks, wasn't it? Yes. So the monks were the ones that, kind of up to the end of the medieval period, they were the only ones that would be able to write. Um, so they would create religious texts and they would create, um, well, basically any books um, that were available in in the in the world at the time. Um, and they were the scribes. They would write down the different things. But illuminated manuscripts were generally um, preserved for religious texts and examples of kind of the richest texts. So the kings and the queens and... Um, the 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 richest nobles would commission the monks to make these texts for them, generally Bibles or books of prayer or those kind of things. Um, but their illustrations, some of them had kind of family motifs and things. So there is a, a gorgeous manuscript um, which is full of hares and greyhounds fighting each other, like jousting each other and things in the in the margins. Um, and there are monkeys and um, doctors who are presented as monkeys <laughs> holding kind of scientific equipment um, and then throwing urine at each other. Oh, cute! Kind of so, <laughs> they may they may sound like glorious illuminated gold leaf things, but there's a lot of humour in them as well. They are, they are wonderful things. Monks got bored occasionally <laughs> and decided to create some interesting images. That's I know, brilliant. <laughs> I know we have Jim Kay illustrating the Harry Potter books currently, but if somebody out there ever wants to do a an, illu- an illuminated manuscript version of Harry Potter. I would blow my mind. <laughs> that would be amazing, and I would spend all of my money <laughs> on it. You must put urine-throwing monkeys in the margin. <laughs> you as must. A, must. Yes, as, a, as, a, as an Easter egg. Absolutely. Well, and before we move off from the evolution of the broomstick, uh, Rosie, you had done just a tad bit of research on the muggle kind of history of associating witches with broomsticks. Just a very tiny amount, and it hilariously kind of slightly connects with the urine <laughs> throwing monkeys. Okay. Um, <laughs> in so far as um, the the kind of image of a witch with a broomstick dates back um, to 
really the very earliest recorded witchcraft in the UK. Um, and it's actually a lady called Alice Kittler, um, who was Ireland's earliest known accused witch, condemned to death for using sorcery to kill her husband in 1324. Um, she escaped, but her maid was actually then burned at the stake in her stead. Oh. So not a particularly happy tale. Um, but one of the things that um, accused her, one of the things that they used as evidence against her, um, was that they were rifling through the closet of the lady um, and they found a pipe of ointment wherewith she greased her staff upon which she ambled and galloped through thick and thin. And it was actually... Um, a, a tincture of henbane, um, which is a hallucinogen. It's a powerful um, drug that creates kind of psychoactive properties, oh. kind of the magic mushrooms of their day, perhaps, um, that would become an ointment that you would apply using a stick to your nether regions. <laughs> um, and so she is supposedly had used this ointment on herself and had been wandering around with a, a stick between her legs. Um, and that was the, the image of the broomstick being created as a witch riding. Man, thank stick. God Noah's not on this episode. Oh my. God. I know. <laughs> so many things he would say. Well. Moving swiftly on. And the little I know about it actually comes, once again, I will reference Lindsay Ellis, the nostalgia chick. She did a uh, fantastic examination of the iterations uh, throughout um, film of The Wicked Witch of the West. Mm. And to do that, she started by examining um, witches and broomsticks because uh, that's kind of a key point of The Wizard of Oz and The Wicked Witch of the West is her relationship with her broomstick. And uh, the uh, what, what, what Lindsay said in her video is that... Um, there it's kind of there there is a lot of kind of mixed uh research and history and uh kind of uh, yeah. about where the this this origin of the of the witch and the broomstick came from but she kind of put it in general terms as the 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 times where this came out were the times where it, it, the idea that you know Oh, silly woman, you should be using that broom to sweep the floor, not fly on. And that's kind of the idea of women trying to escape the very limited confines of their time, um, represented by subverting one of the objects that was most associated with them and keeping house. Early Um, feminism. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, so don't don't you dare put that broom between your legs. <laughs> Use it to sweep the floor. Um, kind of the idea of where the the witch may have come from, as far as the brooms, and that's kind of hinted at by by Rowling um, in saying that the broomstick is a domestic object, and therefore it was easy to hide its capabilities from Muggles. Um, but she kind of ended up doing her own origin of the broomstick um, for witches and wizards uh, that didn't necessarily match up with that in Rosie's, in the case of Rosie's story, thank goodness. (laughs) I couldn't imagine her trying to include that. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess we'll move on to chapter two, which is actually another way that brooms were used in the ancient times, which is 
in games. I mean, yeah. Quidditch had to start somewhere and kind of all of these games are the precursors to Quidditch. They didn't necessarily all um, bring anything to Quidditch, but they were, you know, around beforehand. Some are around still. So we'll just go through them. We'll go by country here. So the first one we have up is Sweden here and they have what they call it's the annual broom race. It's quite as simple as that. It's about 300 miles long, which Ugh. for the record, we did some research ahead of time. So the firebolt goes around 150 miles an hour, and that is, I don't know, uh, what, 700 years after this? So imagine how long that race was. That was a long race. That's yeah. a long time to sit on a broom, especially if, you know, it gives you splint splintered-filled buttocks in bulging piles. <laughs> and it well, says... Well, I guess it's the equivalent of a marathon, isn't it? And it says everybody kind okay. of went, and when they got there, they would apparate to the end. So I guess they just apparated home and then waited for, like, what, a couple weeks or something? And then apparated Maybe. to the end. <laughs> yeah, because the contestants actually flew through a dragon reservation at some point, too. So the, um, the people who were watching the event would congregate and... Um, <laughs> Copperberg. Copperberg? Okay. They they, yeah, they would start in Copperberg and then uh, to cheer on the people who were starting and then apparate to Arjakov. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> to congratulate the people who survived making it through the Dragon Reservation. And it's an international event. So there's wizards from quite literally all over the place. Which I think Still is happening to this day, according yep. to the book. Wait, so. I have a question. Arjaflug is a real place. So. Yeah. It's in Lapland. So wow. why it says that they were originally made for transportation, but if they could apparate back then, what exactly like was it for the people who couldn't apparate? <laughs> well, because you can't apparate over long distances. Oh yeah, I totally forgot. Well, you that can, little, but it's no, very difficult. That is true. Well, because true. we do we do know now with Pottermore and the kind of revelations of uh, discovering the new world that that was done by broom, right? Um, right. Be- because they couldn't apparate over to to the Americas at that point, right? Makes total sense. So yeah, it it kind of it kind of works. <laughs> <laughs> so a close neighbor to Sweden, well, kind of close neighbor, Germany had a game called Stitch Stock, which is quite interesting. It is all about protecting a dragon bladder. So basically, Blah. there there is a twenty foot pole that's topped with an inflated dragon bladder and there's a player whose broomstick is or they're tied to that pole via a 10-foot rope that way they can't go outside of that radius and the player's job is to try and poke that um, dragon bladder with the end of their broomstick however and i think this is super super unfair the bladder guardian can use their wand to repel them so <laughs> like that is such bs in my mind i would be so mad i feel like that's a very unfair advantage personally How many, but not not if there's tons of players who are going after it but i think they go at it one at a time oh that From what I'm so understanding. Good. This is kind of like a capture the flag kind of game. Yeah. It would be the equivalent, I guess. But and the I, I kind of feel like the the concept of the keeper in Quidditch might have been derived from Stitch. Stop. It reminds me of the game where you have the the pole and then the the ball is like on a string and you hit it around it. What's that called? It reminds me of that oh, like reverse where you're attached to the pole instead tether of ball. The ball. Tether yeah, ball. Tether ball. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's like reverse tether ball, sort of. <laughs> you're <laughs> on the person. The, is you're the on ball. the rope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 
Uh, it, it's fine because this is the first of many mentions of bladders, animal bladders being used yeah. for games. And it makes me think of, I had asked Rosie um, if she knew any sports that use bladders because it makes me think of <laughs> Monty Python and the Holy Grail when they're <laughs> yeah. on their way to Camelot and Arthur is asking Sir Bedivere, he's like, explain the game where sheep's bladders are used. To, and I, I was like, oh, is that like, was that like a thing where bladders like pro- a popular like form used for a ball in sports back then. I mean, well, I they are because they're they round, you know, ugh, ugh. and they hold stuff. How big so, do you yeah. think a dragon bladder is? Oh my god! Do I think it depends <laughs> on the breed of dragon. That's a good. There's point. an answer for you. <laughs> uh, that would make it a whole lot harder for the person trying to stop the people around it if it was giant, because <laughs> it would. Yeah. And I mean, the only way to actually win that game. So the bladder guardian was allowed, like I said, to use their wand. So the game ended when the bladder was either punctured successfully or the guardian had either succeeded in hexing all of the opponents out of the running or if they had collapsed from exhaustion. <laughs> that does not sound like a very fun game. Wizarding games tend to have like terrible endings, like really hard to end games. Like you have to yeah, catch a snitch to end it and this you have to like either fall off your broom or stop everybody. Right. Well, thank thankfully that game died out in the 14th century, so we don't have to that, worry about that one yeah. ever again. <laughs> well, and when you think about it, it kind of it, it, as as insane as it sounds, and I know there are kind of insane equivalents to medieval games. Um, but it, it, you have to consider that these people didn't have much to entertain them. Mm. And a nice, long, almost impossible game was probably a major highlight of the day. That is a good point. <laughs> so it's not like they could just pop home and turn on their, you know, MP3s and, you know... Listen to they had music to find something play, to do with their something. lives. They had <laughs> lutes and fires and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, they did not need to puncture dragon bladders for fun, okay? <laughs> also, that is messy. I mean, yeah, what did they put inside no, the bladder? No, 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 they blow them up. That's how you make a pig ball. You you blow it up. You, like, clean it out, Gross. and then you tie it after you blow it up. So it's just air oh, inside. Oh, that's nasty. Well, that's it's better nasty. than that's the disgusting. alternative inside of it <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> poor why Kindle is this show so full of urine how is that <laughs> oh jk rowling <laughs> um so the, the next one here is an irish game um rosie this is all you darling yeah i'm looking up some irish because it's probably something like you know irish names are not the way they actually look so so i think it would be eingingen eingingen so it's, eingingen. it's fairly like it is eingingen 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 sounds pretty and irish the irish language always sounds pretty it sounds a lot prettier when it's said yes, by an actual Irish person. <laughs> We're all in agreement that's how it's pronounced, so I'm not even going to tell you. Um, okay, so in that game, um, you're racing through fiery barrels um, to toss a goat's bladder into the final barrel. So basically, it's a game of Daredevil, pretty much, with an inflated goat's bladder. Which, yeah, I, I don't know, it doesn't sound very... Fun. Well, this this also seems to introduce <laughs> the concept of the hoops for Quidditch. Yep. Yes, so, indeed it does. Yeah, except you're flying through them and they're on fire, which is definitely the one thing that Quidditch is missing. 
is Hoops mm-hmm. on Fire. <laughs> <laughs> that could make an interesting game of Quidditch, though. I mean, <laughs> yes, I feel like yeah, I feel like that would be like extreme Quidditch or ultimate Quidditch. Is <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's actually named, I believe it says that it's named after the legendary wizard Fingal the Fearless, um, who is alleged to have been a, that word, champion. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. How big are these barrels? Because how hard would it really be to not get set on fire the whole time? Well, I'm I'm imagining because, you know, the traditional image you see of a barrel is that a person can kind of just fit inside it. Yeah, yeah. so they so just I'm, kind of... I think, (laughs) well, I think the idea would be that, like, it probably would be pretty dangerous because if, especially because wizards wear robes. Right, right. So, yeah, you're probably going to catch fire. If you don't (laughs) catch fire, you're a master at this. Once again, you don't go fast enough. Right, right. Yeah. (laughs) Fast enough. So, the next game here is from Ireland's eastern neighbor there, Scotland. And it is it was the birthplace of what is being called most probably the most dangerous of all broom <laughs> games, which um Creothean? Kayan, I think. Creothcan. Creothcan? Say that again? Creothcan. Creothcan? <laughs> yeah. Creothcan. Okay. Bless you. Um, <laughs> yeah, Something right. Like Thank you. Um, <laughs> so this game's actually really interesting, and I found this very um, kind of e- exciting. I don't know. That, maybe that's weird. But players strap cauldrons to their heads, and they have to catch enchanted falling rocks, <laughs> as many as possible, in the cauldron in their heads, basically without killing themselves. This reminds so- me of those video <laughs> games where you just move the person back and forth trying to catch stuff. Like... I don't yeah. know if you've ever played yeah. one of those, but... <laughs> kind of like Pong. I, like ping. Weird weird equivalent, Hungry Hungry Hippos. <gasps> yeah! <laughs> that's a perfect, that's a perfect equivalent. That's, I loved that game. Much more dangerous. See, <laughs> much more, I, well, if Hungry Hungry Hippos was a real game, it would be pretty dangerous. <laughs> you can play Hungry Hungry Hippos as a real game. If you get... Um, you know, like spinny oh, chair. I've seen this. Take off the backs, and you can like be on the spinny chair as a <laughs> as a as a hippo, and then you get like a bin, and you get like tennis balls, and you have to try and capture as many tennis balls in your bin as possible as you're being pushed back and forward by another player. Yeah, I've seen I've seen a YouTube about this. They had like little carts on the floor, and they would have one person behind you and <laughs> yeah. pull on a rope to pull you back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was looks Amazing. so fun. <laughs> so you you too can play Creoth can. <laughs> It could become okay. a real thing. <laughs> um, well, this game, this game, you can no longer play because it was banned in 1762. <laughs> even and it was they tried to. I forget uh, who was the guy's name. Um, Magnus Denthead McDonald, yeah. who tried to bring it back <laughs> in the 1960s, but the Ministry of Magic absolutely refused to lift the ban. And which I think, which I think is fitting, considering you know his nickname is Dented. Yes. <laughs> so never mind. You can't play Creoth Green. That that? that 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 won't be happening. And finally, here two the two shortest little summaries here are from English games, and the first one is called Shunt Bumps. Which I mean, what is with these names? Is, <laughs> is my next question. Like wh- who? Well, shunt bumps is just descriptive. A shunt is when you're hitting something, and bumping is when you're hitting something. Oh, there so we it go. really just describes what oh, it's lovely. doing. Oh, lovely, which is a crude <laughs> form of jousting. And the aim, obviously, yeah. as we know, is to knock the other player off their broom as soon as possible. So basically, <laughs> they could just call it jousting, but that's fine. That kind of seems like <laughs> the most logical game to me to develop out of. Yeah. 
broomstick yeah. games. I mean, when we've got things like bumper cars, yeah, that's just the equivalent on brooms, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So. Right. And children still play that today. It's It remains popular with wizarding children. So if you happen to come across some wizards in your travels and you see them jousting, that's they're playing shunt bumps. I feel like that's not... <laughs> I feel like they probably don't call it that. It's just something like two kids on brooms would do to try to knock each other off type thing. It's like just a game that's yeah. a quick thing they just do. <laughs> kids don't go out into the backyard and go, let's play shunt bumps. <laughs> they just start knocking <laughs> each other off the brooms. <laughs> but I want them to because that was the cutest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> the last game here is called Swiven Hodge, and it began in... Um, you know, it's funny. I'm from Massachusetts and can say a lot of British words, but what, <laughs> say that for me. Herefordshire. Herefordshire. See, that's not how... Herefordshire. Okay, so um, Swiven Hodge began in Herefordshire, and very much like um, Stitch Stock, it involves an, inflate, an inflated bladder, usually a pig, big surprise, <laughs> and players sit backwards on their brooms, batting the bladder back and forth over a hedge. And so the first like person to miss gives their opponent a point, and first person to 50 points is the winner. And yes, it sounds exactly like volleyball, but Onwards. far more disgusting because you're playing with a bladder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back then they didn't was... have balls. I mean, give them some credit. <laughs> it's the equivalent. That's, yeah, that it's just exactly what, yeah, like volleyball would mean now. If you're playing it with a football or with any kind of ball that is an inflatable ball, the equivalent would have been some kind of a bladder or a liver or probably not a liver, but mm. some kind of inflatable uh Skin so I guess kind. the reason they had the different animals specifically to the different sports was for the size of the ball because they do yeah. specify yeah. different. I guess that's the size, right? Huh? Pig, dragon, and what? Sheep was the other one, I think. Goat. So had yeah. a goat. Oh, goat. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So um, Swiven Hodge is still played in England, although as we know, it never quite achieved the widespread popularity as one very particular game that started out in Queer Ditch Marsh. Hmm. Oh, what could it be? So I have no idea. <laughs> Educate us, Michael. <laughs> well, it's it, it's definitely Quadpot, the worst game ever invented. But you're not going to get to hear about that <laughs> until the next episode. Um, this is the game from Quidditch March, the root of Quidditch. And uh, to we have to thank for our knowledge of the roots of Quidditch, a Miss Gertie Kettle who was the bemused recorder of the origins of Quidditch, the reluctant recorder of the origins of Quidditch, um, who observed a group of players on the marsh who would, when she'd go out there to pick nettles, um, who were always, uh, she watched them with much disdain and watched them slowly develop Quidditch and was very disappointed to later find out that her best friend Gwenog um, also played Quidditch and kind of broke off their friendship based on that. (laughs) <laughs> um, also hilariously, um, it would appear that Gertie Kettle only knew Tuesday as the only day of the week. Um, <laughs> um, she only maybe she only wrote on Tuesdays. Tuesdays. Yeah. Say, she only writes she... on Tuesdays. Maybe. And they're always playing Quidditch on Tuesdays. That's just the, maybe she only vents in her diary and that's the only day they play Quidditch. <laughs> right. Or maybe she, maybe she works away from home six days a week and she's only home on Tuesdays. She's like, I'm going <laughs> to write about those dang Quidditch players. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Um, and and uh, this this is all taking place in the 11th century. So no, she probably doesn't work far from home. Um, if at but, all, really. If That's at true. all. <laughs> um, and uh, Rosie, I I was curious if you might have any idea where Quidditch might be. The only information we get about Gertie is that uh, Quidditch is on a marsh. It's the 11th century, and she was uh, she she wrote in Saxon. Um, yeah. Does that indicate at all where she might be? Not really. Um, there's a, at one point it says that Quidditch has been um, made unplottable, and that there's kind of mug repelling charms and that kind of thing on it. So it, it's de- it's definitively not described as in a particular area. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some research done um by i can't remember which website i was looking at earlier unfortunately um but one of the the kind of fan sites at one point was trying to discover where um quidditch would have been and i think they determined that it would it was going to be somewhere around dartmoor um so in kind of the devon area um which would kind of work with the the history of some of these other games and and how it came to to be mm. um and the kind of marshy um, tree-lined area that they described. So, yeah, probably somewhere around Dartmoor in Devon. Okay, I wasn't uh, I wasn't quite sure because uh, interestingly, uh, you you can actually, listeners, if you if you own Harry Potter Quidditch World Cup, you can take a look at a portrayal of Quidditch March because if you uh, unlock all the correct achievements, you can play matches at Quidditch March with the Hogwarts team. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, which is pretty cool. I didn't l- realize that until quite a bit later into owning the game and I had accidentally done all of the achievements required and I was and then Man, suddenly, I never got that far and I don't have the game anymore. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a shock cuz just Quidditch just appeared on the main menu and I was like, "What is this?" And I was like, "Oh my god, you can play in Quidditch Marsh." <laughs> I really um, like is there any way to play that? I mean, what consoles is that game on? Computer. Uh, well, yeah, it's, you can it's available for PC and PlayStation 2 and it still works on Windows 7. Um, so you can still play it if you have the PC edition. I'm sure you'll have to you have dig deep too. on on like eBay to find one though. I don't have a <laughs> PC. So. If you do, if you do go to uh, if you do go to a lot of like uh, uh, kind of game re- like smaller game retailers mm-hmm. um, that sell older games, that Quidditch World Cup pops up a lot. Really, um, I haven't seen it for yeah. ages. Uh, the the not so much the PC version, but the PS2 version you can find pretty pretty easily. Um, so yes, you, you can get this game. Can I play that on my PS4? Does that work backwards like that? No. Not that (laughs) far back, I don't think. (laughs) No, you wouldn't be able, I don't think you'd be able, you can certainly try. Um. That's sad. Come on, whoever made that game, update it. (laughs) I would love to see Quidditch World Cup remade with current graphics. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. It's such an exciting game to play. Um, if you've got a good speaker system too, it's pretty amazing. Um, Hear nice that, TT TV. Games? Come on. Make it happen. Our friends, straight. <laughs> but thanks to our, our Patreon sponsors, perhaps we'll be seeing that game being played sometime yeah, soon. Yeah, awesome. Uh, the uh, <laughs> At the time, uh, the earliest uh, form of Quidditch um, at Quidditch March, uh, it would seem the most direct inspiration they took from the previous games was from the Scotland game. The uh, Rosie, say it again. Kriathkian? Is that it? Kriathkian. Kriathkian. Yeah. Um, because of the uh, falling boulders and rocks, 
Those seem to have been translated into the bludgers because, as Gertie noted, there was a brutish Scottish player on the team. <laughs> um, so from that, Wisp determines that that's probably the cre- where the creation of the bludgers came from. The quaffle was the earliest element of the game, uh, not terribly different from its modern use and form. Uh, trees were used as the goals because they didn't have goal hoops. Uh, but a hundred years later on is when we get some more information about Quidditch. It's now being called Quidditch, but with a K, um, not a, not a Q, K W I D D I T A T C H. Um, elevated barrels have replaced the trees, um, for scoring, but uh, some of our beloved player names are different, as well as some of the names for the balls. The um, chaser is, at this point, known as the catcher. And the bludger, in my opinion, is more appropriately, appropriately named <laughs> the blutter. Um. <laughs> I love that she's created her own etymology for these words. It's yeah. just brilliant to see that kind of translation through time. As anyone who's studied etymology and, and the kind of history of language, this is just... It makes me warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> Quidditch through the ages, I think more than any of the extra canonical books, ends up being the super duper Easter eggy book. Um, yeah. yeah. Where it's kind of like all of these little bit tidbits about Quidditch are revealed so cleverly. Um, around this time, beaters are introduced. So uh, in the early days of Quidditch... You just had to outrun the the boulders and the rocks, um, and there was nobody to beat them off. But by this time, beaters have come into the game. But notably, there is still something major missing from the game, and that is, of course, the golden snitch. Uh, but there is quite a tragic backstory that Rowling developed for the golden snitch. The golden snitch was inspired by a magical bird known as a snidget. Uh, you can look at a drawing of it in Quidditch Through the Ages by Rolling. It is a diminutive, fat little bird, seemingly based off of a hummingbird. Um, it's like, it's a fat hummingbird, is essentially what it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a, a hummingbird that's accidentally eaten a great <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Um, the other interesting uh, thing to note about the Snidget is that it has red jewel-like eyes, which I think is a little detail that's often passed over about the Snidget. Um, It's kind of almost eerie in that way. Uh, The ministry classification for the Snidget currently is quadruple X, which uh, translates to dangerous, requires specialist knowledge, and skilled wizard may handle. But the last two seem to be the most applicable in the Snidget's case. It's not uh, classified as such because it's dangerous. Um, It's actually probably one of the most innocent little animals in the wizarding world. Um, It is classified as such for very severe penalties um, for capturing it. And that came about because uh, Snidgets uh, were used in Snidget hunting, which Mm. was a popular sport in the medieval ages. You know, this this goes along to uh, the only... uh, uh, of course, there were a lot of animal hunting sports back in the days. I suppose, Rosie, the most popular one, would would that be fox hunting? Kind of the equivalent? Um, in, in medieval times, fox hunting is kind of... It, it remained a lot longer. I would say more kind of stag mm. um, 
and and kind of yeah the the deer hunting would be the the main hunts that they would go on the, the kind of grand hunts mm-hmm. um but yeah so stag boar quail? and yeah fox possibly yeah some quail mm-hmm. general kind of pheasant and and yeah some birds like that grouse things that remain today mm-hmm. yeah um but it sounds like snidgets didn't fare as well as as some of these creatures which is surprising because i mean with how hard they are to catch they must have been really popular to hunt if like there's still other animals but snidgets are like dying out because there's so few of them left even though they're really hard to catch Mm -hmm. you know why it's because it's a cool trophy to put on your wall because if they're cute and they're small and they're hard to catch people are going to try more often because it's Mm -hmm. more prized to have one of those well, they That's could be point. delectable as well. If if you ever heard the story about um, Darwin and the turtles, you heard this no. story? Mm-hmm. No. So um, on the original voyage to, um, oh, which island was it? Some of the islands that kind of Darwin mm-hmm. visited and, and did all of his research about the finches and all of that kind of thing. They came across um, a particular um, species of turtle um and there was there wasn't much to eat on the island so they caught and they ate one of these turtles um and they were (laughs) they were going to bring bring some of them back um to um the mainland so that they could do some research and could kind of catalog them um they ended up eating every single turtle (laughs) because they were so delicious that they literally ate every single one and wiped out the entire species Darwin. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, he deserves one of his own awards. <laughs> naughty, naughty. Oh, so perhaps something similar happened to the <laughs> Maybe that grapefruit size is actually a, a significant portion of its interest. Well, what we do confirm about this Nijid is they, they aren't hunted just because they're fast and fun to hunt. They are also prized for their eyes and for their feathers. Um, not necessarily sure what people do with them, um, but they are they are <laughs> exploited for that, and they were hunted to near tiny tiny trophies. You get very tiny. I guess I guess I, I'm assuming since she's saying they're jewel like that, it's a horrible thought. But their eyes must have been used in that respect as jewelry. Aww. Um. So, ugh. Uh, the uh sport also had the um. Uh, ancillary effect of causing multiple sightings of wizards by muggles because there were huge groups of wizards flying on their brooms chasing snidgets everywhere. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and the snidget uh, found its way into Quidditch uh, in 1269 by the then Wizards Council Chief Barbarus Bragg, I believe. Bragg? Bragg? Bragg. I say Bragg, yeah. I would say Bragg. Bragg. Barbarous Bragg. Bragg, Bragg's feet fit, seems to fit him more, considering his type. Mm. <laughs> um, Bragg uh, thought it would be funny to release a Snidget um, into a game of Quidditch because he thought it would be fun to watch skilled Quidditch players go after the Snidget. Um, somebody who did not think that was funny was audience member M- Madam Modesty Rabnot. Um, who took it upon herself to summon and sna- and save the Snidget um, from its horrible fate. Uh, interestingly, Bragg uh, had offered the players, coincidentally, 150 galleons as a prize if they mm-hmm. caught the Snitch. Mm-hmm. Um, 
by introducing the snitch or the snidget into this uh, game, there was uh, a significant difference because uh, not only were the chasers going after it, but every player abandoned their post to go after the snidget. <laughs> and the rest of the game of Quidditch was pretty much forgotten at that point. Even the keepers and the beaters went after Well, it. interestingly, because at the end, mine has a little note, and it says that that much... That much gold back then is equivalent to over a million galleons now. And it says... Yep, so you can understand... Yeah, they're all like, we're out of here. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot yeah. of money. <laughs> yeah, I would chase of it course. for that much. <laughs> and as Wisp notes, the moot point that it's... That we, we're not really sure if Bragg was actually going to pay the 150 <laughs> galleon <laughs> price. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, as Modesty reveals in her... Uh, letter to her friend about the incident by the 13th uh, is it her sister that she's writing to prove yeah that's right because she's going to go live with her because she's lost her house um due to this incident uh because she's been fined 10 galleons uh by the 13th century around the time of this event um the game is called is kind of called quidditch it's called quadditch um the way she spells it c-u-a-d-i-t-c-h um and the seeker role, not uh, too long after this incident with uh, the Snidget, was introduced. But the seeker at the time was called the Hunter. Mm. Um, which is also, you know, kind of a pretty cool way. Because we often equated Harry not just as a seeker in Quidditch, but also as a seeker in the Harry Potter series of, of the seeker of objects and whatnot. Mm. So the Hunter is a pretty yeah. cool synonym for that. And I liked the shout-out. I liked mm -hmm. having her name be Modesty, since there's one in the Fantastic Beast films. So that's a fun little shout-out there, too, for the record. Yeah. Also, just a family where you've got Modesty and Prudence as sisters. Yeah. It's just, yeah, those parents were <laughs> definitely following those ideas. Yes, they were. <laughs> yes, as, as Kat noted before we started recording, there seemed to be a lot of repeat names uh, mm -hmm. throughout Quidditch through the ages. Um, there's a, well, you, as we were saying, it's those Easter eggs, isn't it? Mm -hmm. just... Indeed. Yeah. I figured that in the, uh, Gertie, uh, Kettle's friend, Gwenog might've been a reference to Gwenog Jones. Um, For sure. Who will, of the Hollyhead Harpies. Of the Hollyhead Harpies, exactly. <laughs> so. I cannot hear the the phrase Gwenog Jones without thinking of the Hollyhead Harpies. <laughs> right. Which <laughs> is always a... <laughs> um, but, uh, there was, uh, um, and, and also, uh, with the Snidget, because it was alive um, and had a mind of its own, this was one of the few um, times in the history of Quidditch where the crowd got to participate in the game. They used repelling charms to keep the Snidget on the pitch so that it didn't just fly off out of bounds. Um, so the poor Snidget went through quite a bit of turmoil. Um, but luckily, along came Miss Elfrida Clagg. Um, who was the chieftainess of the Wizards or Warlocks Council, depending on the source you look up. Um, according to her wizard card, Clagg lived from 1612 to 1687, and which means that she died just before the establishment of the Ministry of Magic in 1707. Um, she is mentioned in Fantastic Beast. You guys uh, referenced her uh, briefly last week. Um there's a bit of a... This is the other canon discrepancy. Um, she is mentioned as the successor... The It's implied the direct successor to Burdock Muldoon, 
who was the 14th century chief of Wizards Council, and as long as wizards live, they definitely do not live that long. Um, but uh, in Fantastic Beasts, she is uh, remembered for attempting to revise Muldoon's definition of beasts and beings. Alfreda Clagg is often cited by Rowling as one of the more forward-thinking um, chiefs of the Wizards Council. Well, we and- know Joe isn't good at math, so let's just... You know, maybe it's maybe dates too. You know, dates, math, they go hand in hand sometimes. So <laughs> that would seem to be the case here. Um, but with her forward thinking, Elfrida Clegg declared the Snidget a protected species, which led to the founding of the Modesty Rabnot Snidget Reservation, which was the first of many Snidget reservations worldwide, according to Newt Scamander. Yay! Thank you. So the Snidget that- has been saved. Yeah, that is the saddest, I mean, one of the saddest stories in this. I mean, oh, the fact that they just, oh, that poor bird. <laughs> it's so sad. A perfect lead in, Rosie, for your little story about your fish. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so soon after this book was released, I was I got a goldfish at the fair, um, and it was one of the last kind of, goldfishes that you were able to win in the fair because they actually um, introduced a law that said that was illegal soon after. Um, so I, I got a goldfish and I wanted a name for it and I was thinking what kind of names would be appropriate for something gold and I went for Snidget because it was the perfect name for a golden fish. <laughs> Especially <laughs> since it became outlawed to like have them at a fair. <laughs> exactly, yeah, I know, perfect. it's perfect yeah. story. That's cute. <laughs> so perfect, yes. So if you ever have a fish... That is gold, and you want to name it something. Snidget is a good name for a goldfish. Yes. And then he Unless went to wanted... live in the big Snidget reservation in the sky, right? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> but he did last a few years, so that's fine. <laughs> yes, if if you don't if you don't name your fish Francis, you can name you can name it Snidget. Yeah. So, <laughs> and if you have two, they could be friends. Francis, Francis, and Aww. Snidget. <laughs> uh, luckily, there was another individual who came along to assist with uh, ensuring the Snidget would be protected as the years went by. And that was um, Mr. Bowman Wright, as we mentioned earlier, the seemingly in a surname inspired by the Wright brothers. Um, Bowman Wright is listed as living from 1492 to 1560 on his wizard card, which once again creates a bit of a issue with the dates. Well, um, and you know what's funny, too? Between Bowman and Alfreda, they both only lived around 50 or 60 years. So the life expectancy of wizards must have changed over time because Dumbledore um, was around 111 or 112, right? When he died? Either that or there was an angry mob about the people who were messing up their game of Quidditch and outlawing things. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, that kind of well, goes... Well, medieval lifespans were definitely a lot, yeah. short, a lot shorter. True. And Dumbledore has um, been friends with the Philosopher's Stone maker um, for a long time, so maybe he had some elements of prolonged life. Oh, that's... Ooh, I feel like that's a topic episode waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm super interested to talk it about is. that now. <laughs> I think you're on point, Rosie, though, with the the idea that life expectancy for muggles was very short around this time. Yeah. So it would make sense that wizard lifespans were shorter, too. Um, but uh, There is something very interesting about Bowman Wright. Yeah, where he came from. Why, Godric's Hollow. <gasps> of course. 
<laughs> all the best, all the best people seem to come from Godric's Hollow, don't they? <laughs> they do. Indeed. There must be a really long waiting list to try to move in there. They're like, wait, huh? nope. <laughs> Gotta do something great first. The yeah, the the value of the houses there must be astronomical for wizards. Yeah, I mean, living it's like it's like the Beverly Hills of the Wizarding World. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly. Uh, Bowman Wright um, is credited as being a talented metal charmer. Um, huh. Yeah. I didn't really, I, I, I kind of, the only kind of thing I could think about in terms of that is that I guess smithing was kind of a thing back then. Yeah. So Definitely. I guess that translates into wizarding, into the wizarding world as, as being able to, uh, to being, being Charm. more one with the elements, I guess, in your magic. But how do you charm metal? I mean, do you take it out for drinks? I mean, I don't, I don't, I, don't. <laughs> I know that was terrible. But really, but how do you fantastic. charm metal? That just uh, well, it's things like horseshoes have already been, have always been considered lucky, haven't they? Like mm-hmm. one horseshoe particular um, direction up or down above a door is supposed to be granting your house mm-hmm. good luck. So it would be interesting if that was kind of an element of this that the horseshoes had been charmed or blessed in such oh, a way. Oh, mm. I like that. I'm going to choose oh, to believe I was, that. I was thinking <laughs> it was more like changing the actual form of the metal, and that's how he, like, created the golden yeah, snitch. Yeah, probably that too. But <laughs> So it's like Death Pig, but with metal. And not yes. a pig. Right. <laughs> and not alive. Right. Well, <laughs> and it, it made me think, my immediate thought um, as a fan of this particular series was uh, uh, my mind immediately went to Avatar: The Last Airbender, as well as The Legend of Korra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, metal bending. Yes, because metal bending is considered a particularly um, uh, talented bit of bending because it's an extension of earth bending, um, hmm. but it's much okay. more challenging to do. Um, so yeah, if you're a metal bender, you're awesome. So that speaks to Bowman's. I, I feel like that's kind of the implication that's ro- that Rowling was kind of saying by yeah. making him a metal charmer. Um, is that he ha- he was particularly powerful with his magic. Um, and yes, he has a great little wizard card. He's one of my favorite wizard cards, actually. Whenever I would make wizard cards for my parties, I would always keep the Bowman Wright card for myself because <laughs> I just love the idea. <laughs> so you have like 12 of them things. now? <laughs> I have a few. I'm pretty sure I have more than one copy. I think I, I think I would just kind of slip them to the side or slip them in my pocket. Right, him and Celestina, started. right? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> but, uh, again, we'll leave it to the fans to try and detangle Wright and Clagg and their canon issues with the timeline because they, if you apply their wizard card dates to the writings in Quidditch Through the Ages and Fantastic Beasts, you get quite a mess. Which um, is funny because wasn't, I mean, I, I'm assuming that she wrote these around the same time. Yeah, the cards came out around almost because the the Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone video game is the first appearance of both of their. I don't know if Clag got a wizard card, but that by that time, but I'm, I I want to say Bowman did. They definitely had cards by 2002 because they were in the Chamber of Secrets video game. Okay, um, so then if she wrote the cards and the books around the same t- same time, how do you mess that up? Well, you know, she had a lot <sighs> in her head. Joe. Sort out. <laughs> Get on it, Rolling. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we move on from the uh, sad little story of the Snidget, but with a luck- luckily a happy ending, um, 
to issues of muggles and their involvement uh, with Quidditch. There's a little bit of a kind of more definitive timeline in this chapter, in chapter 5. Um, in uh, 1362, Quidditch um, is banned by the Wizards Council from being played within 50 miles of inhabited towns, and that is, again, amended in 1368 to within 100 miles. Uh, <laughs> so, obviously, wizards aren't doing a good job of keep... There's no such thing as a sneaky wizard. <laughs> There's that one game where it's, they just ran off off the pitch, like, 50 miles away, and people are like, hey, there's people flying on brooms. <laughs> and they're like, wait, no, 100 miles. <laughs> <laughs> so, in 1398, pr the previously mentioned Zacharias Mumps uh, attempts to encourage caution when playing Quidditch by putting forth a few suggestions on how to keep your Quidditch pitch a secret. But clearly that continues to be ignored because by 1419, the Wizards Council declares that there is a ban on playing Quidditch anywhere near Muggles or they will see how well <laughs> you can fly in a dungeon. <laughs> so that's the uh, kind of declaration on uh, The wonderfully passive-aggressive amendment yes it's wonderful <laughs> it's wonderful <laughs> by uh 1692 as we previously mentioned last week in fantastic beasts the international statute of secrecy shows up which leads to the formation of the ministry's department of magical games and sports and uh there is an infamous example in 1814 of the rules still being broken um, by Scotland's, I believe, is it the Bankery Bangers? Is that how we say it, Rosie? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. They became infamous for their post-match revelry at one in one particular incident where they let their bludgers just leave the pitch after they won the match. <laughs> uh, and they also went after, look. They, I believe they were going to look for a Hebridean Black Dragon. Yep. Um because they wanted one for their mascot. <laughs> uh, totally reasonable. Uh, and uh, thus their uh, post-match celebrations got them banned uh, and disbanded by the Ministry of Magic, which is the current rule. <laughs> if you go messing around and giving yourself away, you will be disbanded and no longer be able to play in leagues. Uh, the ministry now currently establishes certified pitches for professional Quidditch. Um, they try to seek out deserted moors, um, which they consider their ideal location. And we saw a perfect example of that, I believe, in the 2014 um, live uh, reports from, Quidditch, uh, from the Quidditch World Cup. Um, so that tradition continues to this day. I believe so. But uh, there were, despite that, there were a lot of changes that occurred in Quidditch from the 14th century onward when most of the rules started to become more well-established. Uh, as described by Zacharias Mumps in the 14th century, uh, we actually get exact measurements for a Quidditch pitch. Um, they are meant to be 500 feet long or 180 feet wide, with a two-foot diameter circle at the very middle for where the balls are released. Um, interestingly, in the 14th century, the players all started on the ground, 
and they became airborne once the referee at that time called the quid judge um, released okay. the balls. <laughs> so you can see, kind of see why that name was dropped. Uh, <laughs> um, at this time, uh, the uh, Quidditch players are using baskets on poles for their goals, which is obviously very similar to the origins of basketball. Um, of course, their baskets are uh, turned a different way um, to catch the quaffle. But by the 17th century, we started to get a few revisions. Um, as described by Quintus Umfreville, uh, scoring areas were established, which limited the keeper's movements and the chaser's scoring distances, and the goal basket's heights were increased. I wonder why they needed to make it more difficult, because both of those things just increase the difficulty of actually scoring, doesn't it? Yeah, but in a way that kind of makes sense, right? Because the, there's just too much... there, There's there's too much freeform amongst the players, right? Like, everybody's yeah. kind of just wandering... They can all move around yeah. easy. Everybody's aimlessly wandering around the pitch. Because um, at this point, at the in the 14th century, too, as we'll see mentioned later, the keepers were allowed to actually score goals. Um, so they were just... They were basically glorified chasers. Um, so... Who occasionally protected... Yeah, <laughs> when they felt like it. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I kind of... Sounds feel, like McLaggen, you know? Yeah, yeah. McLaggen would be <laughs> a great uh, 14th century player. Um, <laughs> but uh, the most... One of the first and most egregious changes uh, by the Department of Magical Games and Sports occurred on February 12th of 1883 when... Uh, Merlin forbid, the goalposts were officially, the goalposts and the goal hoops officially replaced the baskets. Uh, this was done in an attempt to revise uh, and, uh, and standardize goal sizes because, as is mentioned in the Daily Prophet article that is cited, uh, wizards would just use whatever size baskets they wanted, um, including basket sizes that couldn't fit a quaffle. <laughs> Such cheaters, man! As to as opposed to the opposing team who would have giant uh, baskets that they had obviously enlarged with magic, and that is where um, the carnies of the world learned how to do that little the the you know the game trick there, where the the thing is a little too small for the ball. So yep. Uh, funnily enough, this created major backlash from the wizarding public. Uh, including a demonstration at the Ministry of Magic where all of the protesters threw baskets at the representatives <laughs> um, when they didn't like what they were hearing. This is a lovely bit of Joe's um, humor uh, here because we get we get this exact repetition a little later um, in yeah. another article. I love the amount of Scotland that she's mentioned in this book as well. Like You can really tell that she's been living in Edinburgh for a while by this point. <laughs> Everything is coming down to those those brash Scottish Highlanders with their dangerous games and well. And before we start the show, Kat had asked you, Rosie, if 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 you felt because that's the other bit about Quidditch through the ages is more than any piece in the Harry Potter series. This one seems to uh, specifically do a lot of citing of um, the 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 
historical yeah. relevance and the areas and, of yeah. different areas of British yeah. culture. Sure. So, as a Brit yourself, yeah. do you feel it lives up? <laughs> um, it 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 seems to match kind of the history of football and the history of of other kind of British sports. And um, Kat asked me earlier if it was um, if some of these names of these sports seemed odd or if anything like that. But there is literally a competition every single year in England where you have to chase a rolling cheese down yeah the i've seen that um, which is the craziest so thing ever we we are that odd so <laughs> i can these are all perfectly acceptable games in england i don't see why why not <laughs> yeah, i think wow. one of the phelps twins posted that on one of their social media accounts like last year or the year before and i remember being like what the yeah. heck what is this <laughs> fake like what Nope, it's it's really real. There's a massively steep hill. You start at the top of it with a wheel of cheese. You let your wheel of cheese go. You chase it. The person who catches it first is the That one. was on Amazing Race one time. I remember seeing that. I was like, what is going on here? Very likely. Madness. Madness. The UK has some strange traditions. Well, I mean, Quidditch certainly would seem to fit well within that, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. <laughs> uh, the... Probably one of the major things that changed um, about the game and is it was probably one of my favorite bits of exploration were the the Quidditch balls. Oh, the first one that's described as the Quaffle, uh, which uh, is the only ball out of the uh, out of the set that was not originally enchanted. It was just a leather ball. Um, interestingly, it was it originally had a strap for holding and throwing. Which, if you've played Quidditch in real life, you probably long for that strap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is very hard to play without a gripping charm. Of course, now we know with, with the um, film design, you get that lovely little indent mm. on the quaffle um, to make it a little easier to grip. Of course, in Rowling's canon, that is not the case. Um, the ball would later actually resemble a bowling ball um, for grip. But that was eventually eliminated. And in 1875, a modern smooth sleek design was introduced due to the invention of the gripping charm. So you can actually hold a quaffle with one hand uh, thanks to magic, which uh, would be nice if that would somehow be developed in the real world. <laughs> uh, but uh, also in 1711, that is the that is the year that the quaffle becomes red. Um, it has changed from brown to red in an attempt to increase its visibility because it kept falling in the mud. Quidditch seems to be played a lot in the rain. Um, so that tended to be a big problem. Well, it is England. <laughs> it is England. Where it is raining right now, correct? Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, also, also the games went on for sometimes months at a time, and that ball would probably get pretty dirty by that amount of time. Mm-hmm. That's Very true. Cute. We do have a citation of a six-month-long game um, at, at a later point, so that is true. So uh, you know, if you were if you're if you were if if you were to go out on the day of this recording, you might even run yourself into a Quidditch match um, if you were so lucky. And in a moor in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yes, if you were if you were in a moor. Um, also in 1711, uh, Miss Daisy Penifold uh, bewitched Quaffles with a charm. That this was kind of this was a big question I think for a lot of people about Quidditch about the quaffle when it is tossed and what happens to it because everybody seems to in the Harry Potter series have an easy time of catching it um, <laughs> if it's just tossed into the nothingness 
Um, but as explained by Wisp, uh, Miss Penifold invented a charm to cause the quaffle to fall as if it is in water um, or in slow motion. And uh, her technique was deemed the Penifold Quaffle, and it is still used to this day to ensure that you can catch a quaffle even if it is thrown um, into the middle of a pitch where nobody is there. And you will see the Penifold Quaffle in action if you play Quidditch World Cup. Um, <laughs> because if you're, <laughs> if you're uh, as not a good a player as me, you will frequently throw the quaffle into the nothingness. <laughs> a lot. Uh, the bludgers, um, interestingly, as we noted earlier, were derived from the uh, flying rocks from the crazy Scottish game. Uh, by the 1100s, they were carved to look like balls, but the problem was by the 1500s, uh, those uh, rock balls would be cracked by the beater's bats and you would be chased by a bunch of little pebbles uh, during the game. Pebbles, uh, which so... seem quite close to bullets. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, pebbles at high speed, not fun. No. Uh, and it's funny you say bullets, Rosie, because wizards began experimenting with lead bludgers, um, which were, as noted in the book, barely distinguishable from cannonballs um yeah. it's like a suicide so, game seriously <laughs> yeah no it's everything it's, they it's, have is so dangerous <laughs> it's really truly the most horrible idea um <laughs> and uh we do get a fun little excerpt um from researcher agatha chubb um who is an expert in ancient wizarding artifacts who um notes why a lead bludger is distinctive from a cannonball as she notes, the faint indentations of magically reinforced beater's bats are visible, and one can see the distinctive hallmarks of manufacture by a wizard, as opposed to a muggle. The smoothness of line, the perfect symmetry. A final clue was the fact that each and every one of them whizzed around my study and attempted to knock me to the floor when released from its case. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. <laughs> minor thing to mention there, Agatha. Just, yeah, an afterthought, you know. Yes, also they tried <laughs> to kill me. Um, modern bludges, bludgers, though, we now have confirmation, are made from iron. Um, lead was actually considered too soft because the, uh, the beater's bats could damage the lead bludgers, and damaged bludgers cannot fly straight. Uh, they are exactly 10 inches in diameter, and as we uh, learned a little more about in Chamber of Secrets, they are meant to chase the player indiscriminately, uh, they will attack the closest player if they are left idle. Uh, or if they have been enchanted by Dobby, they will take the <laughs> <high button. laughs> How easy do you think it is to enchant one? Because I feel like that'd be happening a lot in big games where like people are betting on things. There yes, must be but don't forget, Dobby has different magic. Well, what if someone just had their like house elf enchant it for them? Because they can't say no. That's true. Well, I feel like, I feel like it's cheating, be... and they shouldn't do that. <laughs> oh, I right, think I it forgot. Is just, I think the... the I don't remember what part of canon it's discussed, and I may be making it up, so don't cite this, listeners. But I want to say that there... It may even be mentioned in here in a later chapter that um, Quidditch balls tend to be put under very strict protection, and they yeah. are very challenging to charm. Uh, that's probably true, yeah. Um, so as to kind of make the... And I kind of think fair. that house elf magic is underrated anyway, so perhaps the wizards wouldn't be imaginative enough to think about... Uh, okay, yeah. 
asking the house elves to help that way. Very mm-hmm. Tom Riddle of them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the Golden Snitch, we pretty much know a lot about. Reading the Golden Snitch summary in Quidditch Through the Ages is kind of like reading Percy's welcome letter to Gryffindor on Pottermore. It really doesn't <laughs> tell you much more than you already know. Um, interestingly, though, I think the probably the interesting thing that's left out um, <clears throat> is the important detail from Deathly Hallows of flesh memory. And, yes. Yeah. And the fact that snitches are hollow. And so I wonder if that's a deliberate left leaving out because she wants to re- reveal it later on, uh, or if it's uh, uh, she hasn't yeah. actually come up with it late, come up with it yet. Yeah, <laughs> I was curious because I'm, I and you know this is something we'll obviously, you know, maybe exa- examine in the next episode. But I, I, I want to say that's not brought up in the 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 later chapters. Um about the snitch so i'm pretty sure that that piece of about the snitches was not developed by this point um, yeah or, was or she was keeping it secret which keeping it could secret. make sense too yeah but it would have been fun to have that dropped um yeah. here because it probably would have been something that people would have passed on without even thinking about it yeah and very few things i feel like in this book that are actual hints people ever picked up on so yeah that's yeah. kind of fun Mm-hmm. And I mean, and the reveal that they have flesh memories isn't all that soon after, or af- isn't all that far after he's given the snitch in Hallows anyway, right? Yeah, because Hermione mm-hmm. says it after Scrimger leaves. Yes. And so then- it's not like it's a big thing. I guess the ha- the hollow part is maybe something, but mm-hmm. and just the idea that you know Harry has caught these snitches so that the for something to kind of imprint on him is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I would assume that she hadn't invented that idea yet and decided it would be a fun kind of circle theory um, detail to include in, in Death of Hallows. Mm-hmm. I'm sure this was answered somewhere, but does that mean that you can only use a snitch once? N- n- no, I don't. Th- I, I want to say no, because I feel like the... the Maybe it is, though. But I, I wanted to... I want to say... I think in Deathly Hallows they say that a snitch is never handled until it's game. Yeah. Like they always wear gloves. Right. So that would presumably, presumably I think... mean that you have to kind of reset it or something in some way. Oh, yeah. Then, yeah, that's true. Right. You could reset right. it maybe somewhere. That, that is because they can tell who caught it if two people touch it. Right. Because yeah. it will imprint to whoever touched it first. So then why did it never get wiped after Harry's first game? Maybe Dumbledore, Dumbledore kept, it. kept it. Yeah. That's a lot of foresight, though. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah. Dumbledore. Dumbledore probably wandered over. <laughs> we all know over. that he's actually gone back in time and told himself all these things. <laughs> probably wandered over to Madame Hooch and was just like, could I keep that as a memento <laughs> of Harry? Or maybe, I mean, Hogwarts really only has, what, six games a year? Six, eight games, maybe? That At always most, confused so. me. Like, why would they have so few games? It's, like, confusing to me. I mean, well, there's I only know. four teams and they only play each other once unless they get into the finals. Right, and there's so mm-hmm. much effort involved in getting the whole school down there to watch and uh. take the day off. And... I feel like that's just a boring season, though. <laughs> you got to watch like six games. <laughs> yeah. like, well, the games are, over. I don't know, what three months apart or something ridiculous like that. So, and with the potential to go on for months as well, if they wanted to. How are they supposed to get practice to play on like the real teams in the Wizarding World? Like <laughs> they don't. So the teams are all just awful, I guess. Well, that's yeah, because that's a worthwhile thing because I think. With examining Quidditch through the ages, you kind of start to wonder why 
I mean, I personally do. And I know we, of course, get the stuff about Orr's really drilled into Harry, but why didn't he consider a Quidditch career? Because um, he was really good at it. Uh, so that's weird. He didn't play that much, honestly. <clears throat> well, none of them did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he was he was he was kind of he was singled out as being very naturally adept at Quidditch. Um, so and I kind he of loved I, it. He thought about it all yeah. the time. Yeah, he did. I think he, he didn't play because Joe hated it. <laughs> yeah. Would, I also think like if you were going to go within story, you could say that he played Quidditch to be close to his dad, and um, because it was something that his dad did, and um, mm. he was good at it, and it was that connection to the Wizarding World, and um, it it kind of felt right. But he would never want to have been popular and as kind of center stage. As Why are you always so much maker. smarter than us, Rosie? <laughs> not. <laughs> it's because well, you're British and we're American. <laughs> Go ahead, Lyle. And if you think about it, I guess Voldemort and defeating Voldemort was a much bigger part of his life than Quidditch yeah. was. So, yeah. in the end, that mm-hmm. was... <laughs> and also, Umbridge told him he would never be a Aura, so, you know, he had to be one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Quidditch does come with kind of an unwanted limelight for Harry. So yeah, that's true, too. That would mm-hmm. probably be something he'd consider undesirable. Um Kind of, and really, I get. I suppose when you think about it, in a way, Quidditch was also because Harry did get the attention from Quidditch at the time. We and we discussed this in in those moments, but Harry did at times use Quidditch to as an advantageous way to gain favor with the school, um, yeah. yeah, or with certain individuals like Cho Chang. I would have thought he could maybe like a manager or something that would mm-hmm. have been a good role for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He'll be coach point. when his kids play on a local Quidditch exactly. team. Yeah. yeah <laughs> of course, they won't want him. They'll want their mother, Ginny, who was in the leagues. So Right, exactly. Well, and there's not there's not really coaches, at least at school, because it's just the team captain who's kind of in charge. Right. Yeah, because right. Madame Hooch doesn't really serve as a coach, so to speak. Other and than just... teaching him right from the beginning. Well, and yeah, that's, that's interesting, because that's something Rowling establishes, like, because Madame Hooch, as we see, slowly fades away from the Harry Potter series, um, both the books and the movies. And <laughs> she, she like, her Rowling kind of confirmed uh, through Pottermore and through her old website that 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 broomstick class is kind of a one off that first years get. Um, it's not it, there's no follow up in the in later years so which is think... funny considering that first years aren't allowed to have brooms anyway yeah <laughs> so do you think that she had like a side job somewhere like because she had to do something other than just teach first years once a year maybe she just makes a buttload of money like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she had to like take like pilot lessons and so she gets paid or she referees some of the games i was gonna say maybe well and maybe she oh, referees in the leagues too Who right yeah that? maybe oh, she's yeah. semi-retired yeah. and she's just loaded so she just travels <laughs> we don't know maybe madam hooch is the most awesome character of the series and we just don't know it she's one of those quiet judges or whatever they are <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> um but and we'll get to the referee because there is a little section about them in here um but uh, going back to the snitch, really the most interesting piece from that that we get is that in 1884, there was a snitch that famously managed to evade capture um, during a game on Bodmin Moor for six months. Um, wow. 
and the the and the game continued on as such until the players basically got tired of it and the apparently the seekers were not particularly good seekers uh and an unconfirmed tale continues to suggest that the snitch still lives wild on the moor <laughs> so <laughs> the, the sn- golden snitch is actually the beast of bodmin moor that would be uh, hilarious <laughs> oh is there like a beast of bodmin moor is that a thing it's um one of the i think it's a sherlock holmes story hang on oh Oh, that's pretty funny. It might be an actual beast. Oh, that's great. It's a snitch. (laughs) No, it's not not Sherlock Holmes. It's um, an actual kind of myth. Um, It's meant to be like a wild cat, so it's not actually a snitch, but... (laughs) Well, I'm sure that that's what Joe is leaning towards. Yeah, just the idea of a a mysterious creature living wild on Bodmin Moor is is very funny. That's fun. That kind of made me think, too, of the... um, the equivalent for me in the series is the flying fort Anglia in the forest. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and letting magical objects exactly. run around. I really like the idea of a savage snitch. That's pretty funny. <laughs> um. <laughs> now, this was a snitch, right? Not a snitch. No, it was, yeah, it was a snitch, not a snidget. Oh, okay, right. Because um, we're in the 1800s. That right. would have been illegal. Yeah. Um. See, Savage Snitch is also a really good title name for the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Slightly the, more. That alliteration right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> perfect uh, name for a quidditch team savage snitches <laughs> oh man that'd be great oh that is our that is the alo that is the official alohomora quidditch, quidditch team, team name <laughs> nice we are the savage snitches <laughs> put that on a shirt um <clears throat> the uh players also evolve as well we mentioned a little bit about a few things about how the players changed um throughout quidditch the keeper had some pretty drastic changes, as we mentioned. In the 13th century, keepers were permitted to score goals. So they were not just goalies, they were also chasers as well. Um, kind of two roles combined into one. Uh, but by the 17th century, uh, the scoring areas were established on the pitch, and meaning that keepers could no longer score goals. Uh, however, they were still permitted to leave the scoring area um, to head off and intimidate chasers uh if you again if you play quidditch world cup keepers are the bane of your existence because that they have great ai in that game they will figure out which hoop you are going after pretty well um the beaters role did not change very much uh they they beat they beat the the bludgers um (laughs) they are also expected to have excellent balancing skills um because beaters are one of the roles that are often uh, that often are required to take both hands off of the broom, which is a terrifying thought to me. Um, I didn't really think of that until um, it was kind of pointed out here. Uh, but the interesting little passage about beaters is on page 50, where Wisp says, Beaters need a good deal of physical strength to repel the bludgers. This is therefore the position that more than any other has tended to be taken by wizards rather than witches. Boo! <laughs> I believe the holy the Hollyhead Harpies would uh, be happy to disagree. disagree with that statement. As a girl, as a girl who lifts weights, me, I disagree. Yeah, I disagree. Not, that is BS. Not cool, Kenilworthy Wisp. Not cool. <laughs> moderately evened out by your vegetarianism, but... (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. 
So I did think that was interesting that Rowling put that in there because as we've mentioned, uh, as we talked about a lot in Tales of Beetle the Bard, wizards don't... There's a lot of feminist stories, yeah. Yes, there's a lot of feminist stories, and as Rowling has established in the canon, wizards don't seem to really differentiate between males and females as far as strength. Um, It's not really a concern to them. Uh, Well... Not every wizard can be perfectly politically correct. Guess not. But apparently in the sport of Quidditch, that's still an issue. Which well, is sad maybe, to hear. maybe they're jocks and just kind of <clears throat> mean. I don't know. Yeah, boys club type stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, sad to hear. But, at, you know, at least we have all female teams. Like the Hollyhead Harpies to change that, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the Chasers are the oldest position in Quidditch. They were originally the only position. Um, Just as with the goalposts uh, changing out baskets for hoops, uh, a few, many years later, on June 22nd of 18... Well, not that long after, actually. On June 22nd of 1884, about one year after the hoop change, a new rule known as the stooging penalty permitted only the quaffle-carrying chaser into the scoring area... And if more than one chaser was in the scoring area during a goal, that would negate the goal. Huh. Uh, therefore, it's the Quidditch version of offside rule. <laughs> that, now that's not like a rule in actual Quidditch. Now, as in Muggle Quidditch, because I feel like I've seen videos where there's lots of them going. No, yeah, the same because time. you have to have assisting and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, and that is almost exactly 126 years ago, by the way. Oh yeah, how about that? Because we're almost. Oh wow, that's crazy. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, interestingly, the rules of, um, I don't know too much about the rules of, of, of league Quidditch for universities, um, but, uh, I, I, I personally created my own version of Quidditch for the parties that I, the Harry Potter parties that I had, and the, my rules were fairly different from, um, from league Quidditch. I'm curious, how does the, this is something I've always been curious, are, are beaters and bludgers in league Quidditch? Is that a role that exists? Yeah, in league they have yes. they have dodgeballs. Dodgeballs. They don't have yeah. like bats or anything, but they just throw. So the, the beaters dodgeballs. throw the dodgeballs. Yep, yep. And if they get hit, then I, I think yeah, this is, should be right. If they get hit with the dodgeball, then they have to run back around to their other their own Quidditch goal, and then they can go back to the game. Right, and they can. I'm pretty sure, just like dodgeball, they can also catch it and make the beater go back to the. Oh goal right, yeah. Pretty sure that's a rule too. Yep. So. so are the beaters allowed to just wander around the pitch during the whole game and do that? Pretty sure. Oh, wow. That would be really annoying. That's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's make you run all the time. <laughs> well, because for my version, I changed the beaters. Uh, the beaters ended up being a really complicated role to figure out because at first we didn't even... We actually, for my very first Quidditch game that I did, I didn't have beaters. I replaced beaters with Dementors. And what the Dementors <laughs> did was they went around the pitch and they tagged you out of the game. Um, and so, like, the Chasers would be out of commission for a while. Well, that's essentially what the Beaters do. <clears throat> yeah, just well, but the thing was, they out. weren't allowed to come into... They weren't allowed to wander the pitch the whole time. We had them uh, on a timer. Uh, uh, because we thought that would be too annoying if the Dementors just kept running after the Chasers and too distracting. <laughs> I think it'd be fun to be a Beater, though, for sure. <laughs> Well, because yeah. we we later evolved it to having I made beaters and bludgers by taking like a 
a costume police nightstick, like those plastic sticks. Mm-hmm. I put fishing wire through a squishy ball, a squishy foam ball, and knead, and sewed it through the uh, bat. And so the bludger was attached to the bat. So, uh. so you made a mace, in other yeah, words. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Don't mess so, with Michael. The beaters were still on timers, though. So they weren't huh. allowed to be in during uh. the whole game. Um hmm. Because the chasers were just put through so much during the game, <laughs> yeah, that it felt impractical to have. I'm them pretty also sure that there's only one beater per team on Mogul Quidditch. Mm. Oh, really? That I makes sense. Might be wrong. That that would make sense. I'm pretty sure there's there only one. Two. But there yeah, still has. But there one. has to be seven players. Otherwise, it's like not seven. Is there an extra chaser or something? That could be uh, it. I, the rules have changed so much since I've played. Yeah. I'm not sure. Somebody out there will be yelling at us. So <laughs> yeah. Like that, so no. well, yeah, let us Quidditch, know in the comments. Quidditch leaguers in the comments. Let us know how this works proper because we mm-hmm. are curious. Um, but uh, the the other thing to note is that in, in my personal version, the snitch was not a person. We hid a replica snitch in a in the sagebrush in my backyard. <laughs> So, and the seeker had to find it, um, which ended up working out really well because the referee would always hide the snitch really well. Um, That's cute. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, and we and I, I think the keepers in in Lee Quidditch they're they're restricted to their area, right? They can't go past a certain. I do dis- believe so. Look, yeah. Kind of like like uh, soccer. Like yeah. a yeah, like a soccer goalie. Yeah. Um, and uh, but speaking as we did of the seekers. Uh, as we mentioned before, uh, they are the mo- the biggest reveal about them, but we kind of already knew that from Oliver Wood telling Harry they are the main target for injuries. And as Brutus Scrimger pointed out in his rules for Quidditch, take out the Seeker. That is your main goal. Um, so that's awful. Um, the How rude. Uh, how rude. The rules for Quidditch uh, did uh, evolve over the years. The major one uh, involves the uh, famous game of 1473, where all 700 Quidditch fouls were committed <laughs> during the very first Quidditch World Cup. Uh, well, once you've done the first 699, <clears throat> you have to go for the last one. <laughs> you might as well go for broke, right? <laughs> so yes, there are 700 uh, fouls that were eventually recorded by the Department of Magical Games and Sports likely right after this uh, horrific game. Okay, Michael, um, let's hear them. No, just kidding. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd love to read them, but as Wisp points out, the Department of Magical Games and Sports will not release them to the public for fear of giving them ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and as That's brilliant. <laughs> and as Wisp confirms, uh, he has gotten he had gotten access to the list for his research. And also, he he talks about the seven hundred fouls almost in the same way as Rowling talks about how to make a Horcrux. Uh, <laughs> basically, you don't want to know. Um, that that adds a little bit of complication for the rules, though, because people are gonna like be mad if the referee just pulls out this random like rule and it's like that was. I bet a foul. the players know. I bet the players know. Oh, that that could be. That's a good point. That'd be I was gonna say point. too when the. 
When the offenses are such things as, for example, setting fire to an opponent's broom tail, <laughs> attacking an opponent's broom with a club, attacking and attacking an opponent with an axe, I would feel like those are such obvious um, you should know that those are fouls, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When somebody pulls an axe out of their robes on a Quidditch pitch. Does that mean that all of those actually happened and that's why they added those fouls? That is what happened. Or is happened. someone I mean, just thinking out of the match, box? Yep. Definitely yeah. in 1473. I mean, think about it. Phobias aren't made just because somebody thought of it. It's because somebody's yeah. afraid of it. So, yes, somebody has probably done all of it's messed those. messed up, messed up. Well, and then there was a rule introduced that you could have your wand, but you couldn't use it, right? Yeah, uh, yes, because there's, I, I believe with the Statute of Secrecy, that all, that also carried the caveat that wizards um, were allowed to carry their wands at all times due to the prosecution by muggles at the time. Um, so that kind of ended up being that they can have their wands on them. But they cannot use them during Quidditch. Um, they are banned. Which is right. Which is why it's such a big deal that Harry uses his during the game. Yeah. Right. It's funny. As I said it, I was kind of shocked by how perfectly kind of wand issues in the wizarding world match up with um, certain issues in the real world right yeah. now. Take that as you will, listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly, the, um, there, there, there are a few. I won't read them all, but there are a few kind of fun <laughs> fouls that Wisp is willing to detail, um, such as my, one of my favorites, cobbing, which is uh, applies to all players. It is the excessive use of elbows towards your opponents. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't 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 use your elbows. That's that's not nice. Uh, quaffle pocking, which is for chasers only, which means tampering with the quaffle, e.g., puncturing it so that it falls more quickly or zigzags. Uh, let's see. Oh. Snitched, uh, snitch nip, all players but the seeker. Any player other than the seeker touching or catching the golden snitch. Naughty. Um, blatching. What if it flies into them? That's not their fault. I think that still counts as, as a foul because... They have to, like, stay out of its way. <laughs> yeah, they're supposed to get out of the way. Mm. Although, that'd be really hard if it just smacked you in the side of the head. <laughs> but it, but I guess that would count as a foul because, because that goes along with the f- snitch's flesh memory. Um, because oh, sure, uh, sure. they'd have to reset the snitch. Mm-hmm. Um, That'd be annoying. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> blatching, uh, which applies to all players, which is flying with the at- intent to collide. <laughs> so, uh, are... so that one's been called quite a few times in Harry's day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely by the Slytherins. And there are a lot of um, special moves in Quidditch World Cup where there is um, definitely some intent to collide on the team's parts. Did they ever, like, call it as a foul, though? I can't remember, personally. No, they never, like, called blatching, but, but there they are numerous foul, times right? where people are... are called yeah. out for being naughty. Right. Um, but uh, by se- 1750, and as we were talking about in 1583, wands are banned officially from play. And by 1750, our modern uh, rules of Quidditch are established. Uh, the last bit that we get uh, in this section of Quidditch to the Ages is a little bit about referees, poor maligned referees, um, who have quite possibly the worst role in Quidditch, uh, possibly the um, saddest one being poor Cyprian Udall, uh, who got a wizard card 
and his dates run from 1312 to 1357. Tragically, he is the first referee to die in a Quidditch match. But interestingly, he did not die due to any of the players. He was cursed by an unknown member of the crowd. But of course, this was before wands were banned completely from Quidditch matches. Uh... The probably most noteworthy thing about referees is that they have to go through incredibly intensive testing, which is required to prove their knowledge on the rules, and that <laughs> that they will be able to resist the excessive temptation to curse or hex the players in order to enforce <laughs> the and rules. And also remember 700, like, fouls. <laughs> yes, they are tested on those fouls to know that, to ensure that they know all of them. And as has um, been mentioned, as I believe was mentioned in the Harry Potter books, referees do have the unfortunate tendency to disappear and appear very far away from their Quidditch matches. Um, often because some unscrupulous person has placed, has turned their broom or other object that they interact with into a port key to get rid of them. <laughs> see, uh, I now see why Madam Hoos gets paid so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. It's a dangerous game. Not only that, she's dealing with crazy teenagers, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as we've seen at Hogwarts, Quidditch can get pretty out of control. Um... So, uh, luckily, as far as we know, an axe hasn't been brought out. But Harry did see a bloodied axe in the Room of Requirements uh, in Book 6. So, <laughs> let's hope that it wasn't used in a Quidditch match. <laughs> the Quidditch axe. <laughs> but, with that, we will uh, close the book and take a little, a little break from Quidditch Through the Ages. And we will uh, complete uh, the book, uh, starting with Chapter... Seven, and continuing through chapter 10 in our next episode of Alohomora. So I guess now we just have to complete the episode by thanking our fabulous guest, Lyle. Thank you so much for being here and participating and chatting Quidditch with us today. You're welcome. It was tons of fun. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I wish we could all go play a game of Quidditch right oh, now. Oh, that'd be so much fun. <laughs> I know. I'm kind of in the mood to play Quidditch. You know what? When we reach our next next Patreon goal, that $500, <laughs> so we can do a nice event, what we'll do is we'll have a Quidditch game there as part of the event. How's that? <laughs> that'd be awesome. <laughs> I've been longing because since I've moved to Austin and I live in a self-proclaimed weird city... I did. I I brought quite a few of my personal things with me. I left a lot of um, stuff from my Harry Potter parties behind. But one thing I did bring, I did bring my Quidditch hoops that nice. my my mother and I made. Um, and I have been just dying to take them to Zilker Park downtown, shove them in the ground, and get out my quaffle and just start tossing it. I guarantee you, within half an hour, you would have a. Two teams full of people. I f I feel like that would actually happen. Of course so, it would. Of course it some would. Yeah. someday when I'm feeling bold enough, I'm I'm definitely gonna pack up my Quidditch troops and take them down to Zilker Park. Maybe that's something I can try and coordinate with the Alohomora fans here in Austin because I know we have some. Yeah, so. for sure. Just put it out on the Twitter or something. That'll be great. That's a great idea. I think that's also make sure to videotape it because I want to see this. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, this will be documented when it happens. I suppose that's also a good place to mention. We'll have to start mentioning this soon because I know we're all starting to pick our locations. Um, but with Cursed Child coming out, I have chosen my bookstore here in Austin that I will be going to. So oh, well, go any, for it. I mean, if, 
I'll go ahead. I was going to say, if any of you Hello Humor fans are going, are heading to Book People or know Book People, the biggest independent chain in Austin, come find me. I will be dressed as Professor Lupin um, for the night of the Cursed Child release. So come hang out with me. It would be great to see you in person. Uh, Rosie, you go because I got to look up the name of the bookstore that I'm going to be at. <laughs> um, well, I don't know if I'm actually going to a midnight release yet. I've been invited to um, the Waterstones Piccadilly release. Um, but the Ooh. next day is actually Yalk. It's the Young Adult Literature Convention um, in London, mm. which I am running a Harry Potter party all day. Oh. Um, so I'm I'm not sure if I can do that after being at a midnight release the night before. That's um, fine. You're running your live at the end of it. You're running your own <laughs> Harry Potter post midnight release. Post midnight release, an entire day of Harry Potter events. So if you guys are in the London area on the 31st, which is Harry's birthday, of course, 31st of July, um, and you want to come and enjoy a, a bookish day with a, a load of Harry Potter activities, um, I believe it's something like uh, £12. I'm probably completely wrong number. Um, <laughs> somewhere underneath £20 um, for a, a, a day ticket to Yalk at London Film and Comic Con. Um, and come and find me and do lots of Harry Potter geekery things because it will be really, really fun. Sounds so fun. And I'm going to be celebrating, well, I say celebrating with quotes around it, the Cursed <laughs> Child release in Boston. <laughs> and at the moment, I can't remember the name of the bookstore, but our senior senior journalist, Jessica, works there as well. So we will be having a little official muggle net party. We're going to have some trivia and some prizes and stuff. So if you're in the Boston area, definitely look up that bookstore which i will maybe post on my twitter because i can't think of the name i'm the worst marketing no that's cool director we'll keep, in the world we'll but keep yeah. remind we'll keep reminding you all as the as the weeks leading up to cursed child come up we will drop we will keep dropping reminders of where we're gonna be and MuggleNet is putting together an article of cursed child release parties around the world so be on the lookout for that as well and of course, as we have discussed and have officially decided, we will be reading and examining Cursed Child on Alohomora. Um, I'm excited for that. That'll be awesome. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, one of us needs to see it. Um, oh, Allison will have seen it by yeah, now. Allison so, see it. Yeah, Allison will see it. Wonderful. Cool. Got it covered. Good, good. And of course, if you guys cannot go out to a bookstore and find one of us, you can, of course, come onto the show to talk to us instead. Yeah. Um, our topic submit page is now up on the main site, as it has been for several, several weeks now. Um, so go and suggest your topics. We've had several of them that would be quite good ideas oh, based yeah. on this show alone. So please, please, <laughs> please do send in things that you would like to talk about. Same drill as usual. If you've got a set of maybe Apple headphones, not a sponsor, um, anything with a <laughs> microphone and um, headphones, you are all set. Um, no fancy equipment needed, just a, a, a decent laptop with an internet connection. Um, and come and chat to us. We would love to talk to you. We have only one episode left before we start topic episodes, I just realized. Oh boy, oh boy. As I've been, as I've been trying, as, trying to make sure to ask our guests, uh, Lyle, do you, do you approve of this um, newer format of Alohomora? Did it, did, it, did it feel just as good as being perhaps on a, on a book discussion episode of the main series? Oh yeah, it was tons of fun, especially Quidditch, just because I've played sports all my life, and so there's a lot of things I could relate it to, and so it was a lot of fun just to like get into the different topics. I do love talking about anything Harry Potter, and this one was especially a lot of fun. Good. So far, all of the guests have advocate have given us a yes for new format. So, so yes, come be on the show. 
And if you want to express your love for our new format over on Twitter, you can do so at AlohomoraMN or on Facebook.com slash Open the Dumbledore. Our website, as you know, is alohamora.mugglenet.com. And you can always send us an audio boom, which you can do for free over at alohamora.mugglenet.com. Just keep your message under 60 seconds and you might hear yourself on a future episode. And one more time, we want to remind you listeners to check out our Patreon. Uh, you can sponsor us at patreon.com slash alohomora for as low as a dollar a month. And as we announced at the beginning of the show, we have hit our $400 goal. So Rosie and I are now going to try and figure out exactly how a Let's Play of Harry Potter would Co- work across Correction. the... Correction. <laughs> Cat bought a version of the game for six fifty on eBay 20 minutes ago. So it'll be Michael, Rosie, and Cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> but yes, we will, we will try and figure out how these Let's Plays are going to work for some of the uh, fantastic entries into the and and the not so fantastic entries into the Harry Potter video game series. Mm. And there are other perks um, available as well from our Patreon page. So make sure and check that out once again, patreon.com slash Alohomora. But for now, we are mounting our very comfortable fireballs and flying off. From this episode, I'm Michael Harley. I'm Kat Miller. And I am Rosie Morris. Thank you for listening to episode 195 of Mora. calling a foul or something beforehand so they know that you're a referee. Oh, okay, so then, Patrick, put in a whistle. Like a... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Open the, and then pop Dumbledore. Okay, how's that? Okay. Uh, or maybe someone else whistles so it doesn't feel like it's me. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Open the... Poof. Dumbledore? <laughs> I've always wondered how you guys came up with these. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they're process. quick and easy, and sometimes, you know, they're not. <laughs> I love the editors putting them together lately <laughs> with all the different ones. I love that. Yeah, we have awesome editors. Yeah, that was so. great. And actually, speaking of brooms, that kind of, well, actually, no, lies. That would have been a good segue, but we haven't talked about Dumbledore yet. Never mind. Go ahead, Rosie. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. <laughs>